How to win a bar fight and practice diplomacy while negotiating a bounty on your head. From Civil Wars, Whistleblower Tactics, Schematic Drafting, and the Finer Points of Sith Adoption, The Essential How-To Guide for the Engineering Jedi, by Jack Daw read by Sam Gabriel, based on the works of George Lucas. Content warnings available in description. Chapter 11 Memories are a bitter pill. Water Crystal Station, as Luke had learned the place was called, was admittedly a gorgeous station to arrive at. Partially constructed out of giant artificial crystals and partially constructed out of natural rock, the location resembled an enormous geode that had been carved into a station. Even more impressive, the entire structure floated about 600 meters off the ground, something which Luke thought as he ushered his charges through the maze of crystals, machinery, and people with nary a sound louder than the scuffing of feet he would have liked to know would be the case before their arrival. Nothing to be done about it now, though, and he gestured for his charges to gather closely behind him as he crept around the side of one of the massive jagged boulders jutting artfully out of the ground elsewhere in the station. Crept because, to absolutely none of his surprise, the hunters had been waiting for them at the station. Thankfully, none of the hunters had been particularly sharp, and with some basic stealth tricks he'd been able to sneak his charges out of their compartment and into the crowds before any of them had caught on something which the quick repurposing of his charge's distinctive white uniform jackets into headscarves with a few cuts from his knife had almost certainly helped with, not that that was the only part of their appearance Luke had instructed them to alter. Their dress shirts were quickly mended to hide the bloodstains and tears and loosened out of their military neat press. Boots were scuffed up on one of the sharper edges of the crates, knives were wrapped and hidden in the remaining scraps of cloth, and with the addition of the aforementioned makeshift sun-warding head wraps, they cut a far more casual figure than they had mere hours earlier. Just casual enough, in fact, to pass for a bunch of young adults on a fun day out, or tourists visiting the historic capital that was Chitamaske. Of course, none of that helped against the small squads of hunters dotted around the station, but with their skills in disguise being just as poor as those of the individuals who had initially approached him in their little kidnapping attempt, Spotting them and creeping around them was easy enough, and now that his charges knew how to read his commands without words, it was even easier. The ride had proven to be far more productive than he'd imagined, aside from being able to get all four of his charges to read his signals without a single flaw towards the end, he'd even had a moment to prepare some of his kit for thorough action and was now fully prepared to get down into the dirt for this flight. Sinking down into a crouch in their little corner, he shot a quick prayer of thanks for being able to fully conceal himself and his charges now that they were properly within his wings as he watched the hunters loitering around, looking like they were just companions hanging out. At least, if just hanging out involved rather conspicuously scanning the station every few minutes. The clothes were no better this time either, far too clean and new to be anything other than freshly bought for this job as well as far too loose to not be hiding equipment under it. Clowns, the lot of them. Clowns and the rest of the circus, too. When they all went back to pretending to be interested in talking with each other instead of actively scanning their surroundings, it was almost too easy to slip by them, their presences never indicating for even a moment that they were aware of him and his charges slipping away. 
They were either a lot better at this than he was, or just bad. He had to wonder what kind of jobs they usually took, as catching people was evidently not one of them. Slipping back into cover and a casual tread, he scanned his surroundings as they passed through more shops constructed to look like massive boulders rising out of the floor, selling all manner of wares like food, flora, luxury items, travel supplies, and clothes. He briefly considered nicking some of the latter to scuff up a bit and disguise both him and his charges even further, but even just thinking about it sent whispers of warning through his mind, and he decided to avoid the fancy shops altogether until he could find something less secure. He didn't doubt that a planet as trade-focused as Quat would have some nasty defenses against would-be thieves, sons, they probably had a nasty view on thieves, period, but he wasn't about to let some social mores and minor crimes of petty theft stop him from protecting his charges. He'd have to wait until later to procure some better disguises to let them blend in more. For now, a more casual approach to what they already had would have to do, thank the desert and the storm that even here, in the capital of Quat, it wasn't all that strange to see people walking around armed in some manner, letting both Zev and him blend in far more easily, considering what he was carrying on his torso, barely concealed by the tail ends of his head wrap, and what Zev was clearly carrying on his hip at a makeshift holster. They managed to make it a short way before a ping on the edge of his awareness promptly had him swerving into a side area between and behind the shops with a casual tread, already more than familiar with how most of the hunters felt. Far too alert to be regular travelers, far too violent-minded to be normal station employees, and far too professional to be regular law enforcement. There were variations, of course, like with all people, but they distinguished themselves in the broad strokes. Sure enough, walking behind the shops while carrying himself in as nondescript a manner as he could, while pushing everyone's attention away, away, away from them, he saw the hunters. Again, in far too new and too loose outfits, again behaving in a manner entirely too suspect, and again being utterly too easy to sneak by, considering he just had to time his and his charges walking pace right. Emerging from behind the shops further down the massive hall that led to all the various sections of the station, he scrutinized the wayfinding boards that were displayed everywhere, marking platform numbers, shops, and, most importantly, exits. Considering they had to move due northeast of where they were, going for the northern or eastern exit would have probably been the shortest route, but as they had quite the tail to shake, the southern exit, leading directly into the harbor, would be more likely to be both less guarded and also the best to set them on their diversion route. Briefly checking behind them to ask everyone's status with a quick gesture, he was relieved to get back four signs of all clear and expressions of varying brightness. So far, so good. The sign that said, Exit to Elevators, Tykele Square, was the most promising, considering it was the only one that seemed to lead towards the southern side of the building, and with the hunters none the wiser that they were even on the prowl, it seemed to be their best bet. So to the southern exit they went, weaving out from behind the shops and into the hall pointed out by the signs, briefly stepping into the throngs of the crowd to allow them to travel at a slightly faster pace without being noticed, Luke promptly slipped back out when his eye caught something very interesting, dipping between an installation of giant boulders jutting up from the ground and stationing his charges further towards the back and out of view. Luke studied the strange, crystalline hologram that was situated in the middle of the hall as a sort of focal nexus point. Tyrion, he asked quietly as he contemplated the hologram that, for all the world, looked like a moving map. What is that? Is that what I think it is? That's the 
I have cheetah masks, sir, Tyrion explained quietly. An interactive art installation specifically commissioned for the Water Crystal Station on its 1200th anniversary. It's a map of the city that displays all public traffic in real time, and the visitors can select both it and the landmarks on the map itself to learn more about it. In other words, he muttered, memorize or copy that and you have the entire city in a map? Now that would be useful. Understanding and realization immediately bloomed to life around Tyrion, as well as the others, as they all realized what they had in their hands here. Yes, Tyrion immediately whispered excitedly, and I can do you one better. There's miniature versions tourists can buy as well. They're limited in their usefulness as they only show the major landmarks and a few of the larger skylines, but they're functional maps. Oh, really now? He suddenly found himself eyeing the art installation with even more interest than he already was before Tyrion's excitement abruptly popped like a bubble. I don't uh, have any credits on me, though, he finished in a mutter, embarrassment rolling in over him. Neither do I, Zev admitted. And Luke snorted before anyone else could chime in. Don't you worry about that, he muttered. Anticipation and a certain draw whispering through his mind with only a small warning, certainly small enough that he could manage it if he was careful. Yes, yes sir, sir, came the small chorus of mutters, and Luke checked the site where he was about to stash his charges one more time for security before slicking off back into the crowds. On his own, he was far more mobile than when he had to keep a careful eye on his charges, and dipping in and out of the crowds was as easy as sand surfing on a warm evening. In no time at all, he found himself standing in front of the giant crystal and hologram installation, wandering around underneath the giant floating map while drawing as little attention to himself as he could from his fellow tourists. He quickly found what Tyrion had been talking about. Built directly into the base of the large and elegant main hologram projector responsible for the map that seemed to resemble highly stylized silver flames or perhaps air or water currents, there was both a plaque explaining the origin of the map as well as hundreds upon hundreds of little holochip slots. A plaque right above a small automat listed the price per holochip and what kinds of maps there were available, from the largely decorative to the more accurate, more information-laden, and more expensive. Well, he knew what he wanted. And unfortunately for the security system, he recognized the junk that kept him from acquiring it when he'd been trawling through native quad security systems in his attempt at hacking into the quad drive yard's mainframe. Positioning himself in front of the automate and going through the select screen like he was intending to make a purchase, Luke carefully slipped his cracker into his hand while the system loaded up his purchase and slid the attachment into place where normally a credit chip would go. Barely half a minute later, he had the system so confused that the poor thing believed he had actually made a purchase and released one of the most expensive but informative chips, its little slot lighting up with a cheery ding, and he quickly pulled it out before removing his cracker, snorting when the device thanked him for his patronage. Hollow chip firmly in hand, he quickly slipped back into the crowds and headed back towards his charges, taking a serpentine route back just in case he'd caught some unwanted attention and needed to shake it. Stepping out from behind a loudly chattering couple who had been kind enough to unwittingly provide excellent cover, Luke slipped back between the rocky outcropping with a satisfied feeling and revealed the hollow chip. And that's that, he said, while grinning at their bafflement. I can't believe I didn't think of that, Zeb muttered. Just steal it, of course, why not? He sighed, rubbing his face. Tired exasperation thick in the air.
Luke raised an eyebrow toward his charge and a glance as he quickly began to examine his prize. I do hope you're not about to criticize the methods I used to get this, Zev, he retorted quietly. We'll probably have to do more of it before we're through and safe again. No criticism here, sir, Zev assured him while he found the activation button on the holochip and pressed it, imminently grateful in that moment that, as it was supposed to be a souvenir for anyone in the galaxy, it didn't need to be uploaded to anything. Just grateful, but exasperated resignation. Fair enough, Luke agreed, while the little chip ran through its startup and flickered on, revealing a brightly coward rendering of Chitamaske in all its glory, the major landmarks of the city highlighted in a brilliant orange that popped out from amongst the blue. There were no names or labels on anything but the largest sky lanes and tourist landmarks and destinations, but it was more than enough in terms of navigation. The old city walls, historic markets, districts, with a bit of effort, he would be able to chart a route on this if he got a good couple of vantage points. Switching the little chip off, he quickly stuck it in one of his pockets. They'd hopefully have time to really take a good look later, but at the moment, they were still smack dab in the middle of hostile infested territory and needed a split now. Everyone's still good? He asked quietly. Still good, sir, Tyrion answered. The painkillers and stitches are holding well, Quinn agreed, Zav nodding along. Alun merely huffed out a sound, but since he wasn't in any distress as far as Luke could sense, and he could sense a lot about his charges now that they were properly within his wings, he decided to count him good as well. Then we're back to silence, Luke commanded quietly. Behind me in the usual formation and follow closely. Yes, sir, his charges chorused again, and Luke had to admit that even if he didn't quite know or was entirely comfortable with where the honorific had come from, the mentality it inspired was, at the very least, extremely useful to him right now. With his charges once more in tow, he slipped back out of the rock formation and into the woods, letting them drift towards the elevator exit. His suspicions of the southern route being the better route were proven correct when he could find only a couple of hunter groups dotted around the area, and particularly small and ill-trained ones at that, likely the younger members of the group. If he had to make a guess, he would say they were stationed there more for the sake of completion than any real suspicion that they would use this exit and just as easily evaded. However many people there were in this hunter group, there clearly weren't enough that they could get out this far, this fast, in order to cover an area as large as Water Crystal Station. And if that wasn't good information to know, then he didn't know what was. Evading the last hunter group simply by sticking to the edges of the hall they were traveling through and careful timing, they were soon standing outside in the partially covered elevator station that let people exit the station for ground level, well, elevator, really, in Luke's opinion. If you could call a floating island with trees and a whole house on it an elevator, then yes, it was an elevator. With the wind threatening to blow their headscarves off at the altitude they'd found themselves at, Luke watched in amusement as more than one hand flew up to keep the draped fabric in place. Holding his own firmly to his head, he looked around seeing the city stretch out all around them, with buildings and islands dotting the sky between the skylanes as far as the eye could see. And then there was the sea. The sea, sparkling in the sunlight as it stretched out below them, an expanse of water as far as the eye could see, shimmering in the light, and he could feel the many voices just beyond the edge of his awareness, only just too far out to reach and touch. It was honestly criminal that he wasn't allowed to enjoy the view because murderous hunters were on their tail, and in Luke's own personal opinion, this definitely ranked in their top ten crimes against him at the very least. Sons and sand, he'd run this flight and he'd run it well, but if afterwards he wasn't allowed to return here, he would riot. Painfully tearing his eyes away from where they absolutely did not want to be, 
Luke instead forced himself to focus on the elevator that was slowly coming back into dock to pick up the next batch of people to lower to the ground, or again, elevator. Because by now he could spot clusters of floral colors, benches, and was that a... was that a pond? He wasn't going to ask questions. He just wasn't. He was just going to take his charges, get on the floating island with his charges, and get off the moment they touched down. The Quadi could do whatever they wanted with their floating island elevators, and honestly, it was pretty incredible what they were doing with it, way better than whatever the Emperor had done with the Imperial Palace, in his opinion. But right now, he was just going to focus on getting his charges to safety. The moment the elevator had fully come to a halt, he gathered all of them close with a gesture and slipped back into the crowds. People milled around everywhere, basking in the late summer sun and warmth while relaxing on the benches scattered amongst the carefully manicured trees, flower beds, and yes, a water-true fish pond filled with orioko. Honestly, the Countess hadn't been lying when she'd said that the orioko were her people's living treasures. Guiding his charges to the back of the island elevator, he found a nice, covert place for them all to stand until they reached ground level, behind what he assumes to be the operator house and in the shadow of rustling leaves of the trees, where the wind wasn't as strong and didn't threaten to expose anyone's identity. Leaning up against the cool stone walls of the house, Luke smiled towards his charges, who were thankfully looking none the worse for wear. "'All right, silence is over for now,' he announced quietly. "'But keep it down and quiet.' Having a quiet conversation will help us blend in for now, but don't get loud about it and be prepared to fall silent again at a moment's notice. Understood, sir, Sev agreed, voice as quiet as his own, and he nodded in approval before turning his attention back towards the crowds, keeping watch while his charges began to quietly converse with each other, hopefully getting some stress out of their system before they would have to fall mostly silent again. Thankfully, despite the many other calamities of the day so far, the weather was proving itself to be perfect for quiet conversation and walking out amongst the crowds. Plush white clouds rolled by in an endless summer blue sky, and up high, surrounded by the tops of the highest buildings and many more of the floating islands, the cold breeze carried the scent of salt and flowers. Here at the edge of the island elevator, watching the crowds, it would be so easy to get distracted and look just a little further beyond the surroundings instead— to marvel at the fresh green and water blue and softly humming engines everywhere. It would be so easy, and perhaps on another day he would be allowed to, but right now he had four lives depending on him for safety, and he needed to keep alert. A good thing that was, too, as with a new prickle of awareness he turned his head over just in time to see a band of hunters walk into the island while, once again, doing an aggravatingly poor job of pretending to be casual about it. They looked to be more of the younger breed that were doing such a poor job of guarding the southern entrance, but when stuck on an elevator with them, Luke didn't doubt that that also meant more dangerous. Not Yanir and not Lalira were already more than dangerous enough, and at least they had the discipline to not start waving weapons around at the first opportunity. This lot seemed less likely to have that restraint. The air they carried with them was just as violent-minded as their associates, but lacking much of the alertness and professionalism their older fellows had demonstrated. Drawing back into the shadows of their little covert place, he quickly gestured to his whispering and giggling charges to quiet down and draw close to him. Immediately the conversation fell silent and the quiet shuffling sounds told him his orders were being followed, never taking his eyes off of the hunters slowly wandering along the edges of the elevator as it closed up and detached itself from the station, Luke drew his storm shield even tighter around himself and his charges, pressing all attention away, away, away from them. 
One saving grace was that none of the hunters seemed to actively be searching for them, clearly not believing that there was much of a chance of them actually being aboard this elevator so much as that they were patrolling because they were told to do so. Good. He could use that. Stay very close to the side of the building, he whispered. Conceal your faces as best you can and don't leave the shadows. There's hunters wandering about. But they don't seem to be aware of our presence. Keep your silence and move as little as possible. He didn't hear any confirmation and didn't bother to look back for any. If his commands couldn't be followed here, then this fight had been doomed from the start. Instead, he watched the hunters lazily patrol the crowds in pairs of two, splitting up into two fronts and unfortunately not splitting up any further. If it were just one of them, he could easily take them out quick and quiet, but with them in pairs, any altercation was almost certainly doomed to become loud and break their cover, or at least attract the attention of the crowds around them likely starting a panic, something which could cause enough chaos for them to escape, yes, but would also promptly give away their position and negate much of the advantage taking the southern route would give them if they got away unseen. Best to stay in the shadows and hope that the hunter's lax attention could allow them to quietly slip away. To that end, he knew what to do, even if it carried a risk. Folding his hands over each other and pressing them right over his heart, he began the age-old prayer to the storm a prayer as old as the need for concealment to cover and hide and to keep from harm, and hopefully with a bit of luck and divine favor to allow them their flight to freedom. Castra, the sacred sandstorm, patron of runners and runners alike, patron of those seeking freedom, he began, never taking his eye off the hunters while whispering under his breath in a language that Quat had perhaps only rarely heard before. The words barely survived outside his mouth quiet to the point that he doubted anyone would be able to hear them, anyone but the one who needed to hear them. Quiet his prayer might be, but the words still held their power, and he felt a heavy presence over his mind like morning fog, quieting the world down until he could see nothing but the hunters and feel nothing but his charges, all enveloped in a haze that tainted of salt and ozone. Patron of travelers, of messages and treaties, of all that falls in between and outside, of the outcasts and exiles, of the sky and winds and storm and air, of the endless expanses of the mind and all that spawns from it. The wind picked up as the elevator left the lull of the station, nothing but the sky and air around them, and steeped in his patron's domain as he was, Luke knew that if this prayer didn't spur the storm into action, nothing would. It was high time that he formally call upon his patron to help him in this endeavor and hope for the best. He was a runner, and he upheld his end of the vows given to his patron. It was time for it to uphold its own. Sacred storm, messenger of the celestial spheres and earth, wings of the wind, sovereign of the borderless, guide of the dead, arbiter of the mad and brilliant, he whispered. The titles resonating with power as the full attention of Castro weighed heavy and thick upon his mind as the wind picked up around them, the island floating freely in the sky. Won't you help your runner protect his charges? As if in answer, the storm fully retreated from his mind, reality slamming back into his sense in full intensity hard enough to nearly make him buckle as a warning immediately screeched through his mind. Barely having the time necessary to brace himself and abruptly throw a hand back to brace at least two of his charges as well, the warnings reached their peak as a wall of air abruptly slammed down on them. People screamed as the island seemed to drop several meters at once, and his stomach abruptly shot into his throat. 
As the elevator jerked wildly, he got off lucky, though, and he saw more than a couple people fall flat to the ground, flail wildly, or get jerked to the side. Someone yelped and whimpered behind him as well, but stifled them down when he curtly made the gesture for them to keep quiet. It was over as fast as it started, and people stopped screaming in favor of regaining their footing, the speaker system calling for everyone in both quaddy and basic to remain calm throughout the turbulence, and that they were heading for the ground as quickly as possible. Then another squall of wind ripped across the platform, sending many people tumbling and screaming again as the island lurched sideways and down. Regaining his balance amongst the lurching, battering wind gusts that were sowing as much chaos as they were pushing the platform to the ground, Luke scanned his surroundings again. People were fully caught off guard by the intense winds that were shaking the island like a leaf in the wind, their minds alight with fear and confusion, and the hunters were no different. Stumbling and flailing as they were, Luke zeroed in on the pair nearest to them, the extra weight of their hidden weapons coming back to bite them as they violently jerked around with every gust of wind. The center of balance was completely off, and disoriented by all the flailing and jerking around, they made a critical mistake. They separated. Only a little at first, but with every jerk and fall of the island, they separated further and further, one stumbling closer and closer to their hiding place. Luke eyed the man warily. He was getting too close for comfort, and if it came to it, he would... Then the island lurched to the side with a wind gust so strong it nearly sent Luke sprawling too, and the hunter lunged, stumbled, and fell, right in front of their hiding place. Pale eyes widened as the hunter caught sight of them, and for a moment it looked like he was too shocked to even attempt to warn anyone. Then he opened his mouth, but if he would have gotten anything out, they would never know. Under the cover of everyone's disoriented screams, Luke jumped forward and pulled his knife in one movement, plunging it deep into the man's eye with a sickening squelch. He felt the blade hit something hard and promptly pushed harder, the strength and grip of his prosthesis letting him break through. He wrenched the blade to the side and pulled it out, blood and gore following as the man's presence faded out with a shiver, soul dissipating as if taken by the winds. He immediately grabbed the now corpse by one of its upper arms and began to haul it into their hiding place, counting on the general panic and continuous jolting hits of winds to cover for him. Once it was roughly out of view, he worked his arms underneath the body and carried it fully out of sight, bracing himself against the squall as he hauled the body back to behind the house, towards a patch of bushes and flowers. Quickly stashing it between the bushes and cutting down several low branches to better hide it from view by piling them on, he estimated that it would take at least an hour or two until it was found once he was done, longer if the area he'd hidden the body in wasn't frequented often, at least until it started to noticeably smell, and even then, in a cool, dry environment like the heights they were at, that might take a while. Spreading the last of the leaves over the corpse's face with as much ritual and dignity as he could bestow with the gesture, he cleaned his knife with the hunter's clothes in a few quick wipes and sheathed it once more, turning back to check on his charges as the wind ripped around them, an idle thought at the back of his mind noted that he should have probably taken the time to pin down his head wrap before continuing on as the wind attempted to yank it off. Ah, oh, well, maybe later, and there were more important things to focus on, like the fact that there were still three other hunters on the elevator and his charges were looking more than a little green around the gills, leaning heavily against the wall and buckling with every blast of the wind. Evidently the storm was getting to them too, and their presences shivered with fear and confusion and panic. He would need to work quickly. 
gesturing for everyone to remain where they were and to remain quiet, he crept back out to the front of the group, searching for the other hunter of the pair, and breathing a little easier when he found them still stumbling around with the other people. Seemingly unaware that their companion had been unceremoniously murdered and hidden in between several flower bushes, the hunter was still wildly off-kilter and their mind almost entirely unaware of anything going on around them. Perfect. Now if only he would stumble a little closer. Abruptly the wind tore along the side of the elevator, sending everyone sprawling again as the ground jerked and shook with a ferocity that could only terrify everyone, including their hapless hunter. Eyeing them as they stumbled closer and closer, Luke thumbed open one of the many canisters attached to his belt, this one holding his darts, specifically the one where he had laced every last one of them with kachta poison and sedatives. Perhaps it was a tad early to already be breaking out the lethal poisons, but he needed this person dead as soon as possible, with as little of a mess as possible, cleaning the blood out of his prosthesis's grooves and Zev's gun grip after stabbing not Lyra had been quite enough, and he didn't need another trail for anyone to track. And one dart jammed straight into their carotid would do that in a snap. Pulling out a single dart, he carefully clenched the slender, needle-like dart in his fist, the poison thankfully less of a threat to him now that he had a solid metal hand with which to handle it. He still didn't like the situation surrounding the way he had acquired it, but as he eyed the hunter and braced to pounce, even he could admit that it was useful in moments like this. The wind was in his favor, too, blowing the hunter ever closer to him and muddling their minds until they seemed to be barely able to distinguish between up and down. He couldn't help a grin as the gusts danced around him, a hint of ozone in the air. It always promised to be interesting whenever his patron answered his prayers for assistance on a flight. Finally, the hapless hunter stumbled into his reach, far too preoccupied with maintaining their balance, disoriented by the wild, jerking motions the island was making in the wind, and their minds nearly blind with fear and confusion. They didn't seem to be even remotely aware of what was going on. It made for an easy target. Crouching low to the ground and out of the wind, he braced himself against the wind as he began to creep out of his cover and towards the wildly flailing hunter only a few paces out from their hiding place. The wind howled and shrieked, muffling the sound of his approach and blocking his target's peripheral as well. In the end, it was almost too easy. Leaping towards his target on quick feet, he swept the legs out from under them and caught the flailing torso in the same move. Before they had the chance to do more than yelp, their panic lashing out wildly around them, the dart was already jammed deep into their throat. Feeling a faint warmth well up around his prosthetic fingertips was a dead giveaway he'd struck blood, and Luke released the darts to clamp a hand over his victim's mouth, even if it was almost useless with how loud the wind was howling. Amidst the panic sown by the storm, Luke began hauling the jerking, flailing body of the hunter back into his hiding place, keeping them in a headlock the entire time. Not that it was strictly necessary. Even as he was dragging the hunter, he could already begin to feel the weight increase as his victim slowly went limp. The poison rapidly began to take hold of their brain and nervous system now that it was being pumped in by the carotid, and a handful of seconds later, he felt the limbs begin to go limp. It wouldn't be long now. Dragging them into the lull of the house and back to a secluded spot where the wind didn't howl as loudly, he carefully crouched down against the wall, the hunter's presence already beginning to show its first signs of fading. "'Shh,' he hushed, just loud enough to be heard. "'Easy now. Easy. You're going to be fine.' A lie, but a kind one. It was more than he could afford to give to most of his victims. 
You're probably feeling faint and tired right now, but that's the sedatives working to put you to sleep and keep you comfortable, he explained, holding the hunter close. And he only felt a slight twinge of guilt for twitching the truth as he gently smiled down at them, meeting their pale, afraid, and disoriented eyes with his own. Shh, easy now. He comforted his dying victim as they slowly went limp. You're doing great, just relax. His charges drew closer towards him. Horror, confusion, and a macabre fascination whirling around them. He ignored them for now and focused on the person whose life was rapidly fading in his arms. Your limbs are probably starting to feel cold by now, but that's normal, he explained, gently rubbing a hand along the back of his victim's neck, soothing away what panic and fear he could. Small kindnesses do the dead and dying. Just relax and go to sleep, he muttered. Seeing the gray eyes already begin to flutter as the sedative and poison took hold, the presence in front of him fading more by the moment. Shh, just go to sleep, he hushed, keeping up a constant stream of words to ease their passing. The body in his lap was growing heavier and heavier with every passing moment, but slowly the fearful confusion began to mellow out into a fading sleepiness that was laced with a peace only the dying ever seemed to achieve. That's it, he encouraged when their breathing began to slow and even out. That's it, just let the sedative do its work. Easy now, just go to sleep, okay, just go to sleep. You'll dream of warm things, soft things, kinder things than this. All you need to do is go to sleep. Shh. Under the stream of quiet words, he watched as those gray eyes slowly began to fully close, the presence behind them fading more and more with every moment as the poison began to reach its advanced stages. There you go, he muttered as they slipped into their final sleep. There you go. He kept up the quiet mutterings until the hunter's chest had stopped moving in its entirety, the poison paralyzing their diaphragm and preventing any further breaths. Their organs would start to fail soon with the lack of oxygen, and their death would follow. But with the sedative having put them to sleep, it would be a quiet one. Unfortunately, even with the wind still howling around them, though the shaking seemed to have stopped, he couldn't afford to wait out the whole death. Getting up out of his crouch, he began to haul the fading body of the hunter over towards the corpse of their fellow, quickly nudging aside some of the cut branches and flowers with his foot to make room for the other one. Laying them down next to their fellow with only a single puncture wound on their neck, he could almost believe for just a moment that they really were just sleeping, heading peacefully into the unknown. Rearranging the branches and flowers over the two bodies, Luke sighed as he stood up, quickly bowing his head towards the bodies of his fallen opponents. May you rest amongst the moons, and may the desert remember your names, he prayed quietly. And for a moment it seemed like a heavy presence of sand and dust settled within him, humming with approval. Then it was gone again, and Luke took that as his signal to move on with the flight. Turning away from the concealed bodies, he was none too surprised to find his charges staring at him with something that approximated both horror and fascination in equal measures, and their presences shivered with confusion. They would have questions, he knew, from what little Zev had told them and his own experiences over the last few months. He doubted that any of them would have seen much death, growing up in the core as they did. And even if they had, this kind of death was apparently something foreign even to a general like General Veers. 
They would have questions, but not now. Not while there were still two other hunters wandering around the island elevator. Though with their numbers halved, he didn't doubt that they'd be much easier to avoid. Taking stock of the people still outside their little hiding place, Luke grimaced as he saw the utter chaos that had taken place. People were sprawled everywhere, clutching to trees, benches, each other, anything to steady themselves against the harsh winds that were still blowing, though thankfully it seemed that the shocking, jerking, and shaking of the turbulence was largely over. Panic and fear still hung thick in the air, but no one seems to be any worse for wear than scrapes, bruises, and a broken nose or concussion at worst. He didn't doubt that that would be taken care of quickly enough with how low to the ground they were already getting. The tops of buildings and spires were rapidly rising up around them as the island descended, and for him that was his cue to move them all towards the exit. They needed to get out of here as soon as possible. Fixing his headscarf back into place where it had come loose from exertion and gathering his still somewhat shocked and scared charges close with a gesture, he began leading them along the edges of the island elevator towards what seems to be one of two exits, the thrum of pain and fear of the crowds around them still pounding against the edge of his wings. Through the bushes and between the flower beds, they avoided the main area where people were slowly picking themselves up off the ground now that the wind had largely abated. He shot a quiet prayer of thanks towards the storm as the elevator dropped the final couple dozen of meters toward the ground, or rather, he was halfway through one when he spotted an unexpected complication as he looked through the crystal exit area, crowds, with cameras, and from the droves in the distance that were rapidly closing in, he could bet that there were about to be a lot more people in the crowds in a couple of moments. Quickly backing everyone back up into the shadows before anyone could spot them, Luke cursed internally as he eyed the crowds coming ever closer and into focus, the anxious excitement bubbling up into his awareness from underneath his feet like tar. The turbulence of the elevator must have been visible from the ground that attracted the attention of the crowds. Either that, or Quaddy regularly filmed these elevators coming down. In any case, it was bad news for them. He could handle crowds and people. Crowds and people were easily misdirected and confused, and paid little attention to things they, by all accounts, really should be paying more attention to. But cameras? Cameras were a lot harder to deceive, and required far more effort. Put this many of them together aimed directly at their hiding spots, and you could forget it. They'd need the protection of the crowd, rather than being able to sneak off quietly ahead of the pack. And the longer they waited, the bigger the chance that either they or the two corpses in the bushes would be found out. Even if they weren't found by the hunters, word would soon get out, and then they would descend again like a swarm of hungry kestrels, killing who knows how many more people, as well as possibly his charges and likely himself. But they couldn't risk the cameras either. Not with the questions it would bring, not with the secrets it might reveal, not with the vows of secrecy he would risk breaking. Chewing the inside of his cheek as the elevator touched down into its ground dock, it was uncomfortably clear that they would have to risk the crowds. He would just have to be on top of his game and make no mistakes, which was a dangerous gamble to make no matter the flight, but there was nothing else to it. He couldn't break his vows, and he couldn't risk exposing the flight paths like that, he would just have to keep tabs on the hunters as best he could, maneuver their way through where the crowds were thickest, make use of what little anonymity their bare-bones disguises afforded them, and hope they could put as much distance between them and the station as fast as they could. The exits of the elevator opened, and immediately people began to flock towards it, the crowds outside with a captivated fascination of the curiosity that had just fallen out of the sky, and more than a little worry as well. All the crowds inside mostly just seemed to want out— 
Fortunately, the latter were given the right of way. Unfortunately, that meant that there was more than enough time for Hollows to be filmed and captured by the former, waiting for the swell of people to reach a point where he could properly disguise the presence of his charges and himself. Luke anxiously kept an eye out for the presence of the last two hunters, praying that they wouldn't be found. Stretching his presence to find them, he didn't know whether to feel relief or dread when he found them with far less effort than he had anticipated, but also far closer than he was entirely comfortable with. Then again, he was hardly comfortable with these guys being anywhere near his charges, but less than fifteen meters away with no immediate cover was definitely the nope zone. He was even less comfortable with the fact that the crowds had swelled large enough that they could leave, even if it meant getting closer than he liked to the hunters with only sheer numbers and mass confusion to help them fly under the radar. It was rank amateurism to pass up any escape opportunity that came his way, though, no matter how perilous. And with a quick sign to stay close and keep their heads down, he led his charges into the crowds. Immediately, he found an intense dislike for the way his attention was being split between watching the movement of the crowds to chart their path, watching for the cameras that were still rolling and dodging them as much as he could, and watching the hunters from out of the corner of his eye as the distance between them closed ever further. There was refuge and audacity, but as the still disoriented hunters drifted ever closer to them, and Luke was unable to escape with his charges due to the funnel the exit created, Luke doubted that this fell under that. There was also wisdom in keeping your head down when trying not to get caught, but Luke wasn't about to wait for these people to actively bump into them like so much of the rest of the crowd was doing. Beckoning his charges closer and closer until Tyrion was practically glued to his back and he could hear Quinn's breathing, Luke grabbed Tyrion by the hand and quietly instructed him to do the same, all five of them quickly linking up before they could get lost with what he was about to do. Breathing deeply, he squeezed Tyrion's hand once and immediately sped up the pace, dodging his way around the Bothan couple that was blocking their path, dragging his charges along with them and praying, praying that they wouldn't cause too much of a disturbance to get noticed. Ducking and weaving his way around various humans, Togruvas, Twi'leks, Bothans, Feline, Mon Calamari, Nautilans, and countless other species, Luke drew his charges further and further through the crowds, using the tower species members' presence to shield them as much as he could from the cameras. For a moment, it even seemed like they might get away with it as they drew closer and closer to the edge of the crowd, the presences of the hunters falling further and further away in their stumbling disorientation. They breached the edge of the thrumming crowd, successfully peeling off from the crowd stumbling and staggering their way out of the elevator and to the far side of the whole debacle, away from the center of attention and flashing of the cameras. With people's attention diverted, it was easy to slip right into the awaiting crowd with no one the wiser. Or it would have been had a brief blip of recognition from one of the rapidly falling behind hunters not set the hairs on his neck on end. The presence promptly faded out from the edge of his mind in the next second, but it was more than enough to make him subtly increase the pace away from the elevator site and into Tykele Square. Paved with various kinds of natural stone, adorned with great fountains in the middle that seemed to depict various sea creatures and a fisherman, the square was a truly gorgeous piece of architecture. At the moment, it was swarmed with what seemed to be all manner of metal and cloth stalls, selling everything from fresh produce and fish— to what looked to be fine fabrics and spices at a market so large it boggled the mind. An excellent place to lose themselves in while heading in the general rough direction of where they needed to go, not to mention shake off any tale that they might have gained should that hunter really have recognized them. Drawing his storm shield tighter around them all than ever, he headed straight into the market and let his posture relax, for now at least 
He could feel no hunters or other hostiles nearby. All right, he muttered lowly towards his charges, glancing back to offer them a reassuring smile that thankfully worked in alleviating some of the stress, anxiety, and leftover horror that had been clogging their presences. Silence over for now. Feel free to talk, but try to keep it at a low volume and not draw any attention towards yourself. Oh, he added, suddenly remembering something as he looked around the market, feeling out for any familiar emotions that he suspected were hidden amongst the shrewdness of the salespeople and thriftiness of the shoppers. And keep a hand on your possessions. I wouldn't be surprised if pickpockets are about. Hands promptly flew to each of their respective pockets, and from the corner of his eye, Luke could already see one slighter woman abruptly shift her focus away from them with consternation. Smiling to himself, he kept his senses alert and open, reveling in once again being able to pick out individuals from the crowd that weren't his charges now that mass panic was no longer the dominant emotion. Weaving his way through the stalls while fixing his head wrappings again, Luke smiled as he found a certain joy in keeping a sharp eye out. He may be on watch for hostels, but that didn't mean that he couldn't enjoy how the place was a feast for the eyes on all sides. Here salespeople were hawking everything from fish so fresh that they were still alive and kept in bubbling tanks, to stalls where chilled air wafted out from them as fresh carcasses of all manner of animals hung from large hooks in glass cooling cases, waiting to be butchered on request. Further on were stalls that sparkled with precious metals and gems kept in finely crafted display cases that were just as much works of art as what they protected, and stalls where exotic perfumes in delicate glass and crystal bottles sent refined scents swirling through the air, painting such vivid pictures within his mind's eye that he could almost see the places they'd come from. Even as he kept an eye out, Luke had to admit that for the first time— he felt a lot safer as they strolled through the market, listening as the people around shouted in all manner of languages, from basic to bocce and everything in between. His smile widened into a grin as he overheard a twilight lady and human shopkeeper haggling over the price of a large, armor-plated fish in Rill. Further down the street, there were three Faline merchants holding a spirited argument with two Togruta merchants over what seems to be the correct pricing of confectionery and quarry. And behind him, he could hear his charges chatting quietly about all that had just transpired. He hummed lowly as he caught whispers about the deaths they had just seen, and considered that perhaps later had to become now. With the magnitude of the situation, it was probably best not to let any potential disagreements or discomforts remain unaddressed for too long. He would need to find a secluded and safe place where they could let their guard down for long enough to have a discussion— a place that wouldn't be this market where any number of ears and eyes could be joining in uninvited, which could be a while, he was realizing, as the market they had inadvertently stumbled into was far larger than anything he had seen before, with stalls stretching out as far as he could see through the rows. Tyrion, he asked, only just loud enough to draw his friend's attention over towards him, can you tell me what this place is? Yeah, Tyrion answered promptly, Grinning lightly as he looked around, the presence light with joy, muted though it was by recent experiences. This is the world market. It's been here almost as long as the harbor of Chitamaske has been, and it's the place to get goods from all over the globe. Spices from the Toro Highlands, fine silken cloth woven along the banks of the Oriadak River, calf grown on the side of the Dorodo Mountains, you name it, you'll find it all being traded and haggled over here. And how large would you estimate it to be? He asked while dodging around a bickering human Bothan pair who apparently couldn't agree on what was for dinner this evening. 
How long until we're at the other end? Tyrion laughed quietly as he dodged his way around the pair as well, the others following suit right behind him. It's pretty large, but if you're not aiming to see it all or buy anything, I'd say you'd be able to cross it surprisingly quick. We're probably less than a tenth of the way through it, even if we go in a straight line, though. He added on with a smile and shrug, comfort and belonging softening what seriousness the air tried to drum up. Less than a tenth. Sons and sand, that was quite the large market. You seem to be quite happy here, he noted while trying to think of what their best route through here would be, reluctantly discarding the straight line in favor of something with a bit more twist to it. Tyrion blinked and promptly flushed. I, uh, this was one of my favorite places to be when I was younger, he confessed quietly, something quietly nostalgic settling in around him. The people, the wares, the colors and smells and sounds. He shrugged, embarrassment staining the nostalgia. To me it seemed uh, emblematic of what Quat was, uh, distilled down into a microcosm. He chuckled nervously, flushing deeply. It's silly, I know. It doesn't sound that way to me, dude. Quinn suddenly piped up. This place is pretty cool as far as I can see. I wouldn't undersell it as silly. I agree with Quinn, he added in, grinning down at the flustered air. That sounds like a beautiful memory to have of this place. Besides, he continued, looking around the market where riches from the planet were being traded all over by all manner of people in every language you could conceive of. If this is the soul of Quan, then it's a beautiful soul indeed. Trade and culture, that was far from a bad identity to have as a people, and Luke liked to think that he knew a thing or two about horrific identities held and exercised by certain kinds of people. Thank you, Tyrion mumbled as he fidgeted with the fraying end of his own headscarf, flushing until he reached a shade of burgundy. I just wish I was able to introduce you all to more of it without all this he sighed, while looking around the market. I mean, Sav hesitantly stepped in, I would certainly be up for a guided tour if it's possible after all if this is said and done with. Heck yeah, dude, Quinn agreed, before quickly quieting down after Luke shot him a warning glance. Sorry, sir, he muttered, before promptly brightening up again much quieter this time. But yeah, getting guided around this place by someone who grew up and lives here without having to look over our shoulder every five minutes? Sign me up. I would definitely be interested in being shown around this place some more without the immediate threat of death, Luke added on with a smile as he dodged around a loudly arguing set of vendors. Wandering around Chitamaske while being told everything about it by a good friend who knows and loves it? He glanced back at Tyrion and winked playfully. Sounds like an excellent way to learn about the city to me. Tyrion stammered out in agreement, but Luke glanced over towards the rather solemn-looking prince who was silently trudging along, looking and feeling rather sullen about everything that seemed to be going on around him, sullen, morose, grieving, and rather deep in thought. As much as he liked to think that Alon was thinking about his own behavior and comparing it to Tyrion's, he had a dark suspicion that the prince's thoughts had wandered back to the city hall and the body of his friend he'd left there. Eyeing the prince from the corner of his eye, he noted that everyone else slowly started to copy him, eyeing Alon in the same manner until Quinn apparently had enough. Hey, man, he said elbowing the prince lightly. What's with the long face? We're still alive, aren't we? Alon's eyes snapped up with sheer fury burning bright in them, and Luke knew that this was his cue to step in before things got ugly. Quinn, he said sharply. 
shaking his head once and cutting off whatever scathing retort Alon had planned that would have broken his vow. Quinn shot him a confused look, but Luke ignored it in favor of catching Alun's furious and distraught eyes that the prince was hastily trying to cover back up with his customary slightly snobbish aristocratic expression. Holding the gaze, Luke dipped his head slightly. "'His sacrifice won't be in vain, your highness,' he promised quietly, soothing down the ruffled feathers of Alun and alerting the others to the situation in one fell swoop. "'I'll make sure of it. But you have to keep your wits about you right now.' It isn't fair of me to ask this, I know, he reassured quietly, soothing any potential offense before it could have the chance to settle. But I need to ask you to delay your grieving until we are no longer being pursued. It isn't fair, but if you don't keep a clear head right now, I fear the worst. He pushed as much sincerity and truth as he could into those words, willing Alun to understand that he wasn't trying to be cruel intentionally. Suns and sand, he wouldn't even be able to without breaking his vows as runner to always act in his charge's best interest, but it wasn't like Alun knew that. Thankfully, something seemed to get through to him, and, after some understandable hesitation, Alun nodded firmly, fixing his mask of pure aristocracy and haughty superiority back in place. I understand, sir, he agreed stiffly, and Luke just hoped that he would be able to bring him back to safety soon, if only to finally be able to grieve his loss properly. Evidently, this conversation was far from over, though, as his other charges made themselves known. Someone died? Quinn asked carefully. Luke opened his mouth to answer, but the prince was already talking before he could even utter a word. Duke Durham of Lothar, Alan answered, voice cold and detached. Noble protector of the royal house of Alan. He, he died performing his, his duty, he finished. Voice breaking on the last word and suddenly Luke got a better picture of what he had sensed when he'd first met Alun and his companions. If they were assigned to protectors of Alun, that would explain a whole damn lot about how odd their relationships with each other had been. May he rest among the moons, he offered quietly, the prayer odd on his tongue in basic, but this was something that deserved to be heard. The land will know his valor, Alun agreed quietly, and Luke got the feeling that that meant far more than simple fame. An uncomfortable silence settled in over the others, and Luke could only imagine what they were thinking as cold shock, empathetic sorrow, and traces of remorse all bled into each other around them until they were near indistinguishable. Sev was the first to open his mouth, hesitating for a moment before swallowing heavily as determination took hold. "'I'm sorry for your loss,' he whispered out, all animosity forgotten for a moment. "'Me too,' Quinn agreed quietly. "'I didn't know.' Neither did I, Tyrion added quietly, something hard but kind in his eyes as a deep well of sympathy and understanding opened up around him, casting a deep shadow over every other emotion. He died uh, with honor, he offered, as protectors are wanted to do. He won't be forgotten. Now that was interesting. This happened to you too, he noted quietly while steering them all past a stand selling delicacies, brushing by the large wood blocks with various mushrooms growing out of them that were stacked into a high pyramid, the names of each branded into the respective wood block. Tyrion didn't even bother to deny it. When I was thirteen, he agreed quietly, following in Luke's steps past the stand. Her name was Orisalia. She was my main bodyguard at the time, and right there when... Someone broke through the other security lines during the annual Stormbreak Festival. 
They tried to kill me for being the Guara heir, but Orisa put herself between me and them, tackling them while taking the shot in my place. Tyrion sighed deeply. It actually happened not far from here, a little further down into the harbour, he revealed. There's a memorial with her favourite flowers and myths on it. It's how we remember her and her sacrifice, he finished quietly, shrugging his shoulder. May she rest among the moons, he offered quietly, and Tyrion smiled wanly at him. She was a good friend, he agreed, but she was also my protector. It was hard to accept that she chose this. But mother and father eventually explained to me that in the end, Orissa had chosen to give her life for mine, and that such a decision could be mourned and should be honoured, but never regretted, and that it should be honoured by remembering her. Tyrion sighed quietly. It's a little easier every day. Luke smiled in return, and there was a relief in knowing that if desperate times eventually called for desperate measures, Tyrion would know how to handle his death with, if not grace, then with experience. I cannot speak for her, he said softly. Nor did I know her. But if her need to protect was anything like mine, then I doubt that she would have regretted her decision for even a moment. He turned to Alun. Nor would Dirham, he said quietly. Tyrion swallowed and nodded while Alun turned away with a conflicted expression and Luke smiled when he felt the first inklings of begrudging respect and recognition start to form within the prince. It wasn't much, but recognizing that the commoners, although Luke would dispute that anyone here qualified in the slightest as common but hey, baby steps, could have experiences similar to his own was probably a start for the proud prince to be less dismissive of other people. Let's continue on, Tyrion muttered. Never mind that they had been walking the entire way. Where are we heading, anyway? To the northeast, Luke answered promptly. Which is where, exactly? Quinn added on exasperatedly while gesturing around at the maze of stalls. We don't exactly have a compass. He paused for a moment in which he abruptly turned contemplative. Wait, do we? We don't, Luke confirmed. But it's not like we need one. That way's north, he explained as he pointed towards the deeper city. And that way's south, he finished as he pointed towards the harbor. Draw a line at an angle through the two points, and you have every other direction you need. Sav blinked. And you know this... how? he asked hesitantly, looking around them in confusion at the maze of stalls, and honestly, Luke could only shrug. Most people on Tatooine who lived somewhere in or near the desert knew how to read the suns, stars, and land for their directions, but even if none of those were available like they were now, he just knew. It didn't work as well on the Lady, or the Drive Yards, if at all, but on a planet. He just knew north was that way and south was that way. Easy. Right, Zeb muttered as he rubbed his face. Because I asked. Will do, Luke agreed suddenly. Let's just continue on while trying to put as much distance between us and our hunters as possible. Hmm? We can consult the map and build a more solid route later, but for now, distance and confusing our trail is the priority, not accuracy. And honestly, he couldn't ask for a better place to do that than a market, especially a market that was apparently famous for being both large and dense. With the thousands of people milling around here, the constant movement and shouting and organized chaos, the hundreds of scents and sounds, if there was one place where he could buy them a good amount of time by obscuring their trail, then it would be here, 
sons with a bit of luck, he'd maybe even lose their tail entirely. He'd have to find a better route, though, as if by fate, a strange whisper skirted past the edge of his mind, and he abruptly stopped in his tracks. Turning his head towards where the feeling had come from, he blinked as he found it led him not east like he'd been expecting, but northwest. Making a curious sound in his throat, he shifted his body fully towards the odd, fleeting sensation he'd just had, the whispers in the back of his mind rustling with a certain keenness that intrigued him. There had been something there, something that had felt like sun-baked rocks, the smell of herbs and spice cooking in oil, the wind humming within the dunes, and a red and gold sunset, something that felt like home. Before he even realized what he was doing, he'd set off on the broader, mainland path that cut straight through the market and into the harbor, and towards that fleeting feeling of home. There was something there that was causing that sensation, here on a planet thousands of light years away, and if there was something like home on this planet, then there might be something like the flight paths as well. The whispers seemed to agree with him, and he eagerly listened for the heightening feeling of that strange whisper of home, the taste of salt from the salt flats, the sound of vaporators, the smell of burning earth and chapor wood. Everything pinged in his mind like wisps of memories, growing stronger as he got closer, with his charges close on his heels. He rounded a corner stall that was stacked to the brim with fresh produce in colors and textures and shapes that he'd never even seen before, dodging the animated gesticulations of the vendor as she proclaimed them to be freshly imported from the Falmore region in a loud, booming voice, and stepped into a nearby side street. The mosaic of natural stone that seems to be characteristic to Tykele Square gave way to a paving of what seems to be flat river stones, the gaps filled in with cement, and the buildings illumined both large and oddly familiar as the architecture shifted away from the characteristic Chitamashke style to something more hybridized. Walking deeper into the side street, he noted a definite shift in the makeup of the stalls, the bright reds and oranges of the cloth that draped over them shifting to slightly more muted umbers and siennas, and the wares on display took a distinctive shift into something that felt closer to that immutable sense of home as well. He recognized some of the dried herbs and spices piled high in the stalls as the ones he would sometimes haggle for back home in the Anchorhead market, and sure enough, the little cards perched on top of the piles listed out the exact names he'd been thinking of in hot ease. Salespeople and shoppers alike were yelling in it too, alongside Rill, Shriwuk, Mandawa, Bachi, and even some blips of binary here and there. There were vendors for all manner of things, just like earlier in the market, but the product seemed to have taken a definite shift. Bantha meat hung from hooks in the display cases of the butchers, replacing the more expensive nerf cuts, and for the first time Luke saw the pluck of the animals on full display in the glass coolers as well. Livers, brains, hearts, lungs, kidneys, tongue, tripe, and so much more good stuff that it made him ruefully think that Aunt Baru and Uncle Owen would have had a field day with the shopping. There were cactus and rock-rose fruits amongst the produce section, as well as golden reed bundles neatly tied together with the customary red string. Rolls of cloth that were made to withstand wear and weather were featured right alongside the more expensive silks and linens, and the countless oils derived from nuts and plants alike were kept in great transparent tap vats, ready for sale and whatever use they might be put to, whether it be cooking or craft. It wasn't home, not by a long shot, but damn it if it wasn't so close to it that after over nine months away from home it was more than enough. For a moment he could only look around as if entranced, 
but snapped out of it in mere seconds when someone tugged on his sleeve, worry and anxiety piercing through the fog of memories as his charge's distress finally registered and overwrote the experiences he was having. Looking back over his shoulder, he could see a very anxious Tyrion tugging on his sleeve, with none of the others looking all that thrilled either. Sir, Tyrion whispered, sir, we should, we should probably head back. He glanced around the branch of the market they landed in, nervousness written into every line of his body. It's not the safe here. Luke blinked at the words and again looked around the market, trying to pick up on any warning pings that he might have missed that Tyrion had seen and coming up with nothing all that more substantive than a couple of pickpockets and illicit dealer or two. What do you mean? he asked, more than a little confused about what Tyrion could be meaning. Tyrion nervously fidgeted with the frayed edge of his headscarf as he anxiously looked around. We're starting to get into the bad part of the market. There's crime and violence and illegal dealings, and it leads to the part of town that's a lot more... Like the Outer Rim? Luke finished idly, raising an eyebrow towards Tyrion as he started to get a picture of what was going on here. Tyrion abruptly froze, mouth still halfway open before he abruptly clicked it shut, flushing such a brilliant shade of red that Luke almost expected the air to start glowing for a moment. I, well, I, I didn't, I, Tyrion stammered out, mortification and humiliation blazing right around him like bonfires as he fell quiet, looking very much like he wanted the ground to swallow him whole as he averted his eyes to it. Luke huffed out a small laugh and shook his head. Easy, Tyrion, it's not like it's anything new under the suns, he teased gently. I know damn well what the general view of the Outer Rim is on the core, and what the response is to seeing any of it up close, but this, he said, gesturing towards the market that felt so much like home, this isn't bad to me. He laughed softly, smiling towards Tyrion and the rest. This is home. Tyrion, still red as could be, nodded timidly without looking up for even a moment, and even his other charges couldn't seem to look him in the eyes at the moment as a sour amalgamation of shame and mortification leaked out from all of them. Sons and sand, even Alun was stubbornly looking away. He rolled his eyes and crossed his arms. Really, no offense was taken, he insisted, putting some more sincerity behind the words. I've heard it all before, and much worse at that. Did you really think you lot would shock me with this tank on the outer rim that's older than dirt? Quinn fidgeted uncomfortably as he quickly glanced at him before rubbing his neck, or trying in any case, and grimacing as his hand met the cloth of his own head wrap. I think... I think that just makes it worse, sir, he muttered, and well, point taken. Luke sighed. Look, he began, because really, they didn't have the time to deal with deeply baked-in prejudices that he damn well knew everyone in this group held by a simple virtue of being raised in an environment that profited from upholding them. I'm not particularly interested in what things you have and haven't internalized from the grand, the outer rim is a barbaric cesspool spiel that's so popular with the core world elite, he said firmly, setting his hands on his hips while giving them all a stern look. That's your own business as far as I'm concerned, and you don't have to justify it to me. Just acknowledge your mistake, work through it, and grow from the experience. Lather, rinse, repeat. It's the essence of living. And apparently, if there was any answer they'd been expecting, it wasn't that. Quinn blinked in confusion and tilted his head. And that's how you expect us to handle this? He asked warily. Just like that? Just like that, he agreed with a nod. Feel embarrassed or ashamed if you need to. Its memory will prevent you from repeating the mistake in the future, and it's a useful emotion just like any other. But once you're done with it, let it go. It served its purpose of allowing you to learn, and can be stored away again until the next time it's needed. 
No use retreading old mistakes into eternity when you've already learned from them, not when we've got far bigger issues to worry about at the moment. Like murderous hunters, to name one issue. The navigation of a passable flight route through this city for another. Honestly, he had better things to do than this. Quinn blinked again, and Luke noted with some amusement that he wasn't the only one. Huh, he said, looking rather nonplussed at the whole affair, and Luke nearly laughed at the collective bafflement that was being exuded by his charges. You have a very odd way of looking at things, he noted warily, and Luke could only roll his eyes and chuckle as Zev made a triumphant noise. Right? Zev exclaimed, only just remembering to keep his voice low even as there was open relief on his face as he looked towards Quinn, who nodded furiously. Luke sighed and rolled his eyes, running back towards the path and walking onwards with his charges quickly scuttling after him. No use dwelling on the past, I've learned, he retorted easily, weaving his way around a mechanic stall he wouldn't be surprised in the least to find selling blasters under the table as well. Remember it, learn from it, honor it, and move forward. Time won't wait for anyone, and every day could be your last. So what use is there in clicking to something that's already long gone? Even when it comes to the past of others, Tyrion asked softly, hesitancy in his every word. And Luke couldn't help but huff out of breath as he realized he'd inadvertently been conscripted to act as a morality teacher or ethics teacher. He honestly wasn't sure at the moment. Especially when it comes to others, he returned patiently, dodging around a crowd of people waiting to be served at a particular fish stall. People are imperfect, mistakes are inevitable, and when they happen, people require grace and dignity in order to be able to learn from them. Doesn't mean I have to like them or even forgive them, but it does mean I have to allow for the possibility that they've truly grown and changed if I ever see them again, and judge them for who they are, not who they were. And if they haven't, Alan retorted, voice harsh and uncompromising, what if they've remained the same throughout, and never regretted anything? And then I remind them that there are appropriate consequences to the transgressions they've committed, if they choose not to make amends themselves, he answered pleasantly, letting only a hint of danger slip into his voice as he scanned their surroundings again before turning back to glance at his charges. There has to be a measure of justice, even if a person isn't willing to commit to it of their own accord, after all. Right, Quinn said weakly, swallowing audibly. Remind me not to get on your bad side. Will do, he agreed easily half unsheathing his knife in a clear threat as he stared down a man who had been eyeing his charges just a little too eagerly for the opportunistic greed that hung around him like a noxious cloud, pouring danger and threat into his posture and presence. It was barely a moment before the man hastily averted his eyes, silently yielding to Luke's claim. Good. It seemed that the usual method of asserting himself worked here just as well as it did on Tatooine. Relaxing his stance again and feeling steadier by the moment, he continued on, listening intently to the world around him as it sang in a tune that was both familiar and entirely new. There was something here that was drawing him deeper, a presence or presences of something or someone that sang with an undertone of secrecy and a weight of history that stirred his memories. Something more than just the general feeling of home. With every step he took, the feeling became stronger, pulling him in as something whispered of protection and vows given that could never be fully erased. Drifting further through the stalls as he followed the intangible trail with his charges close behind him, he zeroed in on a particular side street, veering even further away from the main market until he found the source of the presence. Squeezed between two stalls was a tiny cafe with a beautifully carved wooden facade, the sign proudly proclaiming it to be Café Cristache, and a second, smaller sign in the window proclaiming it to be open as well. 
Walking up to the small cafe, he took note of the small terrace set out in front, with various hand-carved wooden chairs meant to accommodate every kind of body shape and limb possible, set at simple but elegant wooden tables carved in the same manner. If his eyes weren't deceiving him, it looked a lot like Wookiee craftsmanship to him, something which had an inkling of an idea and a memory resurface in his mind. Something from years ago, during one of the worst sandstorms he'd ever seen, a storm that nonetheless hadn't touched him as its power had sung in his veins, promising safety and protection for both him and his charges as they disappeared from Jabba's own slave quarters under the cover of darkness. Eight souls within his battered and bruised wings clinging to him in the hope of salvation, with a last pulse of encouragement that had his nose prickling with the scent of ozone, he pushed the door of the cafe open and stepped inside with the chiming of a bell. Inside, the interior was almost tree-like, with the amount of wood and plants scattered everywhere. Flowers grew in the window sills and towards the back, where a glass extension of the room opened up seamlessly into an equally lush and green garden. There were flowers on all the empty tables, all carved in the same style as the ones outside. Honestly, the only thing that didn't seem to be wood were some of the walls and the bar, which was done in part in polished natural stone all of which he was noting in part to distract himself from the highly familiar face that was cleaning glasses behind the countertop in the last place he had ever expected to see her again, as if he had expected to see her again at all. Light streaming in through the windows illuminated a scar at the base of two pink leku that he remembered having patched up himself, shadowed by a headdress decorated with glimmering blue beads that did nothing to hide it. It matched well with the light blue and green ruffle of her off-the-shoulder top and apron, and as he looked at the pink twi'lek, happily humming to herself as she put away a stack of cleaned glasses behind her, he thought that he couldn't believe how small the galaxy was. "'One moment, please,' she called out while putting away the glasses, stretching up to place them on the upper shelf and revealing another scar on her midriff where he remembered dicking out the chip himself with the burned tip of his knife. "'I'll be right with you once I have these under control.' "'Lucky, look alive! We have guests!' she called towards the kitchen door in the corner of the cafe, and he barely recognized the other familiar voice calling back in a growl. Vamora? he whispered out before he could think any better of it, and the very air around him sang with the truth of it as he finally recognized the soul he had once vowed to protect and guide until he no longer could. Valmora looked over her shoulder, and there were those purple eyes he remembered— though he couldn't ever recall them having been as bright and happy as they were now. Oh? she asked, squinting her eyes slightly. Have we met before? I'm sorry. I don't think I recognize you. Before he could even think of what to say next, the kitchen door swung open and revealed a large, chestnut-colored Wookiee walking out in a black apron, fixing both the oversized plastic gloves on her hands that Luke could only imagine were meant to keep any fur from falling into the food. All right, all right, I'm here, she growled out in Shrewook as she finished fixing up her chef's attire, looking up towards them. Welcome to Café Cristace. What are we making for you today? She froze mid-sentence, the beginnings of recognition starting to form around her. Staring into the red eyes of his former charge, Luke huffed out an incredulous noise and smiled as he pulled down his headscarf just a little, revealing more of his face. Hello, Lackmere, he greeted dipping his head as the Wookiee just stood there as if lightning struck. It's been a while. Valmora looked at the both of them in curiosity, but Lackmere paid her no attention, instead carefully approaching him while sniffing the air around him as he held still for the Wookiee's inspection, patiently clasping his hands in front of him. 
A few paces removed from him, she came to a halt as realization bloomed in full around her, and Luke resigned himself to his secret being revealed to two more people today, though this time he at least had some confidence that it would be in safe hands. Stormwraith, she breathed out, switching over from Shrewuk to Zakzik. And Luke tilted his head as she took a step back, Valmora making a strangled sound at the name given to him by the people back home. Your nose is just as sharp as ever, I see, he noted with a small smile. You, Valmora whispered, voice nearly reverent as her emotions whipped up into a storm of surprise, shock, and a deep sense of awe that left Luke slightly red in the cheeks. It wasn't often that he encountered former charges of his. In fact, it was highly discouraged for anyone in the flight paths but the final contacts to even know where any freed ended up so as to make their eventual locations even harder to trace. But it still happened on several rare occasions. If you asked him, he was always given far too much credit for just doing a job. Hello, Valmora, he greeted. I have to say, I didn't expect to encounter either of you all the way out here. Valmora let out a strangled sound, staring at him wide-eyed and slack-jawed as she leaned heavily on the bar counter. Thankfully, Lackmere hadn't changed a bit, and Luke could almost see it as she gathered her senses about her. Snapping out of her shock, she shook her head in a wave of fur and abruptly put on a serious demeanor. "'Should we take this upstairs?' she asked. "'You and your—' She looked over the pitiful huddle of Quinn, Zev, Tyrion, and Alun behind him, all being more than a little intimidated by the Wookiee, even if they were rather curious. Charges, she said, looking towards him for confirmation, which he quickly gave with a curt nod, which she returned in turn. You and your charges look like you could use some privacy and rest. We'll extend hospitality if you need it. That would be fantastic, thank you, but I should tell you we're being hunted by a rather persistent and lethal hunter group who've already killed several people, he warned them not wanting them to get wrapped up in anything they didn't want. If you could just give us directions for discreet passage to the city center, then that would be more than appreciated as well. Lackmere snorted out a low sound. We'll handle both, Wraith, she told him firmly, walking over to a back wall where she pulled aside a small table and pulled out a wooden knot in the wall, revealing it to actually be a small panel hiding a doorknob. You saved us, and that is not a debt so easily forgotten. Now let us help you save them. If you're certain you want to get involved, he said, as he watched her open up the door to reveal a staircase, I warn you both now, this will be dangerous, and we have many people on our trail who want us dead or captured and are willing to create collateral damage to make it happen. It's a gamble to help us. You mean exactly the one you meant for us? Felmora said, raising an eyebrow with a dismissive twitch of her leku before nodding towards Lackmere. You take them upstairs? I'll close up down here. We'll do. Lackmere agreed, gesturing towards the staircase with a significant look. Luke got the message and bowed his head with a smile as he headed forward, beckoning his charges along. Thank you, he told the two of them, as many times as the moons watched over me. None of that now, Wraith, Falmore dismissed with a gentle smile. You gave us something that can never be repaid. At least allow us to do the same for you and the others under your care. With that, she ushered them towards Lackmere, who in turn started to usher them upstairs as quickly as she could, while his charges all clutched around him like they were afraid they'd be taken away from him. Sir? Tyrion asked quietly, tugging on his sleeve. What's going on? Who are these people? And why is she calling you Wraith? I'll explain in a moment, he promised, just as quietly while trudging up the stairs behind Lackmere as they heard Valmora flip the sign and lock the doors. 
but the short of it is that it's a name I was given back home for my actions. Lackmere snorted and looked back as she reached the top of the staircase. They don't know who you are? she asked incredulously. I didn't pick up this flight under my other name, he explained. It happened spontaneously, and we were already on the run by the time I could even properly name them my charges. I had to start it without my mask and under my own name. Lackmere growled lowly in sympathetic annoyance, and Luke inclined his head in agreement with a wry look. It was, frankly speaking, a bitch of a situation the hunters had forced him into. Pulling down his head wrap for the first time since the station, as Lackmere led them inside the upstairs, Luke looked around to see that they'd entered a nice, cozy apartment. Just like the cafe below, there were plants and wood everywhere, and much of the furniture seemed to be handmade by Lackmere herself. They appeared to be in a living room, not much larger than the one in his own quarters back on the lady, which was stuffed full of furniture and knick-knacks without being cramped somehow. Meanwhile, the Wookiee herself had tromped off to what appeared to be the kitchen connected directly to the living room for who knows what. Make yourself at home, she called over her shoulder. Feel free to use any of the chairs or couch. Would you all like tea? Yes, please, he agreed, perching himself in one of several high-backed and plush armchairs scattered around the room. Glancing towards his charges, he raised an eyebrow. Well, aren't you going to answer the lady? Lady? Quinn asked in befuddlement before being elbowed sharply in the side by Zev. Ow! No fighting, he reminded them both sternly. And yes, lady, Lackmere asked you a question. Aren't you going to answer it? Yes, sir, Zev agreed hastily, before his presence abruptly turned sheepish. After we had find out what she asked? Sons and San, of course. He breathed in deeply as he looked them all over. None of you understand Shrewook, do you? He asked flatly. I don't see why any of us would. Elon nodded on, and Luke shot him an unimpressed look. Because it allows you to carry conversations with the people belonging to a widespread culture who cannot produce the sounds of basic themselves, he suggested pointedly, feeling perhaps a little too satisfied when Elon promptly shut his mouth and ducked his head. Whether or not he saw those points as valid arguments, Luke didn't know, but he wouldn't have him violate hospitality by offending their hosts before they'd even gotten through the proper greetings yet. I... I know a little, sir? Tyrion volunteered, but I still didn't understand more than half the conversation, so... He shrugged his shoulders helplessly, and Luke felt more than a little remorse that he was unable to inform the heir that much of the conversation had been in a language he had no hope of understanding with his knowledge of Shrewok, since it wasn't even remotely the same. I'm afraid I didn't learn any, sir, Zev admitted quietly, slight embarrassment coloring both his cheeks and presence. Neither did I, Quinn added on. Never even thought about it before now, if I'm honest. Looks like I'll have to translate then, he said, crossing his legs as he gestured towards the chairs. She said to take a seat and asked if you all wanted any tea. Oh, Tyrion perked up immediately. Yes, please. Luke watched in amusement as the others immediately chimed in with agreements, and he glanced over to where Lackmere was setting water for a quick boil. Did you hear all that, Lackmere? he asked. A little louder than was probably necessary for the Wookiee to hear him, but more than enough to rapidly draw everyone's attention back to how small the room was, even if they'd been talking somewhat quietly. She growled out a laugh. All of it, she confirmed, mischief and satisfaction all around her. And tell the haughty kid that he'd better not repeat that to my face. Understood. Your Highness, you're not to repeat that statement you just made to Lightmere's face, he dutifully repeated, keeping his voice calm and even. She was none too pleased by it. Yes, sir, Alan agreed meekly, 
Warily eyeing Lackmere in the kitchen, who apparently both knew this and was rather amused by it. Rolling his eyes, Luke waited patiently for the next move to be made, whether it be by his current or former charges. Sure enough, they soon heard a light tread come up the staircase, and looking over revealed the solemn but still so much brighter than before face of Valmora. "'Well, that's taken care of,' she said as she headed over and sat down almost next to him in the armchair directly adjacent to him. "'Nothing,' she said, looking over to him, a barely restrained burning curiosity sparking around her. "'Can we please get an explanation, Wraith? Like, how did this happen?' Who are you and who are they? How did you get there? What? One question at a time, please. He cut in. Well, I understand there's many questions here from everyone, but let's wait until we're all seated. There's much to talk about and discuss, after all. Right, she agreed quickly, Leku making a deferential gesture as she nodded her head in tandem. Right, of course, Wraith, sorry. Why do you call him Wraith? Quinn blurted out, and Luke could have smacked himself with how quickly that planet fallen apart. Valmora blinked and squinted her eyes in suspicion. Because that's who he is? She answered warily. He's this storm wraith. Right, right, Quinn agreed readily. Now I hope you don't mind me asking, but who is the storm wraith? Valmora's leku twitched in irritation and her eyes narrowed. Are you messing with me? She asked, irritation beginning to creep in. I had to take this flight under my own name due to how sudden it was, he explained to her quickly. There was an incident that would have probably left them dead if I hadn't taken them along with me while fleeing the scene. None of them knew I was even a runner before we were already well underway and I couldn't even properly name them my charges until then either. She furrowed her brow for a moment before abruptly realization sparked. Wait, were you at the city hall attack that was on the news? It was on the news? Well, yes, he admitted with a blink. We all were. The people who caused it were after us, Zev added quietly. Luke managed to evade them and protect us by bringing us along, but... But they still after you, Valmora asked knowingly and Luke could nearly taste the memories and experience around her as they resurfaced. He had to admit that his own were definitely coming back to the foreground as well. Running one of Jabba's favored dancing slaves through her flight had admittedly been one of the most harrowing, complicated, and exhausting flights he'd run to date. But as with all flights, he'd never turned one down, no matter the risks. That part of his reputation, he could admit, was fully deserved. It hadn't taken away the fact that the effort had nearly killed both him and, more importantly, his charges. It had been worth it, though, and the freedom rights of the bells that had followed him had been one of the sweetest victories he'd ever tasted. He would do everything he could to ensure that this one would be no different, and there would be freedom waiting for them all at the end of this, come what may. They are, he confirmed. And while they aren't the sharpest, they're lethal, numerous, and well-equipped. Not that they got to use much of it so far, but then again... If he did his job properly, no amount of equipment would help nor save them. Add to that the fact that I am in unfamiliar territory, out of reach with the flight paths, didn't get time to prepare, and don't have much in the element of surprise, and this flight has already proven to be a highly unwelcome challenge, he summed up, irritably tapping his finger against his arm as he ran through the situation. And yet you found us, Lackmere noted as she returned from the kitchen with a serving tray full of teacups on saucers full of boiled water, a small stack of empty tea sieves and a tea box. There's multiple kinds in the box, she added as she set the whole thing down on the central calf table. Pick whichever you like and put it in a sieve. He smiled gratefully as he picked up a saucer and began sorting through the tea box for what he would like. Thank you, Lagmir, he directed towards his host, which was quickly waved aside before turning towards his charges to translate. You can take a sieve and fill it with the tea you prefer. 
A small chorus of thank yous was directed towards Lackmere, who took the whole thing in stride rather gracefully, and he didn't miss it when Valmora directed a small smile and a nod towards what he could only assume was her partner of some sort. It wasn't really any of his business, but he was glad to see the both of them so settled and happy together. Still, she noted while steeping her own cup of tea, you didn't answer Lackey's question, right? She looked over to him with curiosity burning bright around her. How did you find those? You also haven't answered yet while you're being called Wraith here, Quinn pointed out. Or, for that matter, what you're doing here on Quad, so far from your territory, Lackmere added idly while stirring her own tea. Luke sighed internally and asked the storm for strength, much to the amusement of the whispers. But admittedly, he hadn't expected for there to be this many or of this variety, though ultimately he supposed it was a small price to pay for a modicum of temporary safety for his charges, even if he feared what would happen if the hunters found out their location in this temporary sanctuary. "'I will answer all of those as best I can,' he promised. "'But first I think introductions are somewhat overdue.' With those words, everyone seemed to abruptly remember their manners, and eyes snapped over towards the various people around them, as if only now realizing that no one here actually knew each other for all that they shared similar connections. "'I'll begin,' he continued." more than a little amused at how his current and former charges were all either staring at each other or trying to sputter out a name. My name is Luke Lars, and I am currently an engineer aboard the Star Dreadnought, the Executor. Lackmere immediately froze at his sentence, a cold anger awakening that was nonetheless carefully restrained. The Empire, she growled lowly, and Luke nodded, grimacing in sympathy. As a Wookiee and a former Chained, he didn't doubt that there was less love lost between her and it than between the average Chained and the Empire. It hadn't really made itself popular by targeting Wookiees specifically as desirable slaves. Why? Various reasons, not all of which I can freely disclose, he answered with a significant look that had her settle down somewhat. Needless to say, none of them were ideological. He sighed as he recalled how it had all started out, at first it was largely for financial reasons. The pay I was promised as the head engineer of the lady was more than enough to secure my family against Jabba's taxes and fund much of the flight paths to boot. There's barely enough runners, but there's even less of a cash flow. He shrugged. It was an easy decision for me. The work would be far less flashy, but it would help much of the community, as well as allow my family to buy any slaves that couldn't be freed any other way, which they have been doing. As his explanation progressed, Lackmere began to settle down, her anger ebbing away as Luke laid out his reasoning even if she retained some of her irritability. You said, at first, she pointed out, and Luke inclined his head in agreement. Yes, at first, he continued calmly. It's still part of my motivation for working with the Empire, but it's evolved since then. He leaned back in his chair as he stirred his tea. I know this might be difficult to believe, he acknowledged. But there's people within the Empire who need help to take a shot at freedom, or even just to stay alive. Many more than you could ever imagine, and in places you wouldn't believe. They need a runner, a helper, anyone, and have needed one for a long time now. His tea was slowly turning a darker and darker color until he deemed it right and fished out the sieve. I aim to be that person, he finished, taking a sip of his own tea and finding it pleasantly herbal and sweet. He set his cup back on his saucer and leveled them all an even look. Now then, would the rest of you care to introduce yourself? Immediately everyone seemed to snap back to awareness of their surroundings, 
as if they had forgotten that he'd divulged all this in the name of beginning introductions. Oh! Valmora looked around the living room and quickly set her own cup back into her saucer. Right, of course. She straightened up and neatly folded her hands in her lap while shooting his current charge as a warm smile. My name is Valmora Rysek, call me Va, and this is Lakmir Utmak, she said as she gestured towards her partner, Lakmir dipping her head with a light growl of acknowledgement. We are both former charges of the Stormwraith. She smiled towards him with fierce pride and giddy awe as she said it, and Luke had to hide a blush in his cup as he took another sip. He's the one who ran our flight out of Jabba's palace, and then shortly got away. We ended up on Quartwell by a series of fortunate events. We came into possession of a cafe when the previous owner retired. Now we try to run Cafe Cristace as best we can. Um, well, I'm Zev. Zev introduced himself as he glanced between Valmora, Lakmir, and Luke himself, clearly trying to make sense of what he'd just learned with what he already knew. Zephyron Viz, this is Quinn Montador. Quinn grinned and gave everyone a two-fingered mark salute. Comus Alun, that's your highness to you, Alun sniffed, Zev thankfully ignoring him entirely with barely an eye roll. And Tyrion Quana, Zev finished, Tyrion waving shyly as he smiled, and unlike every other name, that one sparked familiarity. Quara? Velmora asked, eyes shifting over entirely to Tyrion, who immediately ducked his head and nodded. As in, House Quara of Quat, Tyrion added on in a voice that was barely above a whisper. Yes, that's me. I thought you looked familiar, Lackbeer mused as she considered the air, and his charges immediately turned towards him with questioning eyes. She thought Tyrion looked familiar. Luke supplied promptly. So did I, Valmora added. But I didn't think that the air of Quat would just be showing up in our shop today. She huffed out a small sound, her presence turning rueful. Then again, I didn't think the Stormwraith would be showing up today either, so I suppose that's on me. You keep saying that word, Quinn pointed out again. Stormwraith? What does it mean? Valmora lit up again as they reached what Luke could only assume she considered to be the more interesting subjects. Personally, he would have to disagree, but with the determined curiosity of his current charges, as well as the eager excitement of his former, he resigned himself with a soft groan to what was likely going to be the most embarrassing conversation of today. It's the Wraiths, or, well, Lauses, Mr. Lauses? Luke is fine, he cut in quietly, receiving a quick nod before she went on with her explanation. It's Luke's name, she explained excitement and awe melding together from a deep well of memories that Luke didn't doubt were more embellished than they needed to be. He is the Stormwraith, both the Storm's champion and beloved disciple, and the hero to the people whom he protects and saves even at the risk of his own life. He never fails a flight, defies even the most dangerous and powerful of masters, and brings hope to people far and wide, she enthusiastically revealed and Luke could just about sink through his chair in mortification at having to hear all those old tall tales again before she abruptly wheeled around on him. Which is why I can't believe you're here, instead of back in your territory. First of all, I just explained why I left, he pointed out, both voice and cheeks still heated with mortification. Second of all, that's just a name people gave me for lack of anything else to call me. I just called myself something far less ostentatious and would have been fine with that. Third of all, half of that is lies, and the other half is twisted entirely out of any context it had. You summoned a storm of mythic propulsions when guiding us through a flight that killed two of the squads sent after us, and yet it never even touched us as long as we were with you, Valmora retorted. I prayed to the storm for aid. I summoned... 
"'Nothing,' he corrected firmly, "'because that was dangerous. "'He may be on general good terms with the storm, "'and it may watch out for him, "'but presuming you had any kind of control over it "'was the height of hubris "'and a good way to find your mind maddened "'and have your life story finish with the sentence. "'And then they ran screaming into the desert "'during a storm never to be seen again.' He shivered slightly when a hint of ozone tickled his nose while the phantom sensation of grit and salt in the back of his throat caused him to swallow, something heavy and ancient letting him know that his patron was taking his request for assistance and concealment throughout the flight very seriously. No one controls the storm, he added lowly, and Valmora seemed to sense something similar as she shivered as well, a sense of unease sweeping through the room. She nodded slowly but her eyes said she was far from done. But it answered when you prayed, she countered quietly, and he, he couldn't deny that. It answered, and we walked through the heart of a sandstorm that killed dozens of people, never being touched by it even as the sand could have stripped the skin off our bones with ease and stolen the very air out of our lungs because you were there. There was awe in her eyes, awe and reverence, and he had to look away. Just because it answered my prayers doesn't mean I'm its champion, he retorted, tracing the patterns of his prosthesis as it told the story of a runner. It's the patron of runners, those seeking freedom, travelers, and exiles alike. It could have been any number of things that persuaded it to answer and aid or something entirely else. The star paths on the back of his hand shimmered in the afternoon light that streamed in through the windows. It's unwise to pretend to know the reasoning of the storm in any case, he finished quietly. Perhaps, Lackmere agreed, having been quiet up until now, but thoughtful the entire time. But the gods do not answer prayers lightly, and they certainly do not do so in a manner that goes down in myths for just anyone. Red eyes caught his own as a deep knowledge tinged with the amused wisdom from ages of living flowed around her, like silk billowing in the wind. Only those favored few can elicit such a dramatic response. He swallowed and shook his head, wanting to refute it again, but was cut short when a soft sound came from the couch his charges were clustered on, realization and no small measure of trepidation blooming large and bright in barely a moment. So you're saying that that storm, Sev stammered, pale as a sheet, on the island? Valmora raised an eyebrow, shooting Luke a significant look before nodding towards his charges. Probably. There's a reason he's called the Storm Wraith. I could tell you dozens of stories in which slaves made miraculous escapes into sudden sandstorms because they were with him. And that's only scratching the surface. There's a whole mythos surrounding him with dozens upon dozens of stories. Most of which are lies, he reminded her. So the stories of your treating with the crate? And only respect from lesser and greater alike aren't true, she asked, and damn it, that wasn't playing fair. That's what runners do, he protested. That's not any kind of heroic feat. We're supposed to be the mediators between communities and the messengers of the storm. And what about the stories of you being desert-touched, of you entering the lair of the great sage of the Kashmir Mountains and living unharmed with no knowledge and an ally made, she pointed out. You're saying that's just what runners do, too. He glared at her receiving only a sunny smile in return. Suns and sand, this wasn't going to end well for him, a fact that became especially clear to him once he registered the laser focus of his current charges as they hung on to every word, captivated by the tall tales that really weren't as grand as they seemed when seen up close. 
He sighed and looked pointedly away, confirming and denying nothing. Unfortunately, that had about as much effect as he expected it to have. I knew it, Thalmora cheered as she pumped a fist into the air, while Lakvir proved herself to be no help whatsoever as she merely sighed fondly. Suns and sand, he groaned as he buried his head in his hands. This wasn't going his way in the slightest. I distinctly remember you fighting off more than your fair share of opponents during our flight, too, Lakmir added on innocently, and Luke shot her a look of abject betrayal. She was supposed to be the long-lived, seen-it-all reasonable one here. That's right, Valmora exclaimed. Didn't you fight the like six people all at once at one point? Whoa, wait, what? Zev suddenly exclaimed, head snapping over to him. You did what? It's not that impressive, he insisted. Not about to let this whole thing pass unchecked and give any of his charges the wrong impression. He wasn't some legendary hero. He was just a runner, just a runner, and as mortal and fallible as one, too. The moment anyone started expecting him to be anything other than that, or worse, more than that, disappointment and tragedy was bound to happen. It kind of is, sir, Quinn countered, before turning towards Valmora with eager eyes. Were they armed, too? They were Jabba's best, she insisted with a grin. Full body armor, some of the best weapons on Tatooine, and the Wraith took them along with nothing more than a knife, a tether, and some darts. All of which were coated in a lethal poison, he interrupted tattily. Anyone could have killed someone with them, never mind the advantage of terrain and movement. And he was fighting them while we were cornered in the cave, Valmora continued excitedly, completely ignoring the interruption. We all thought we were done for, but then the Wraith just said, Leave! Luke blinked as Valmora all of a sudden dropped her voice to what he had to admit was a pretty good impression of his mask's vocoder. Live or die here, but you will not harm them. And when they didn't, he just went to town on all of them. I've never seen anyone fight like that before or since. It was like he was dancing in the air as none of the attacks could ever land a hit. He remembered that moment, though admittedly it was filled with a lot more desperation and laser focus on not dying while he and his charges had been found out and getting the slavers out of there. He'd never have suspected that his desperate strikes and leaps could have ever been described as dancing, though. Whoa, Zev breathed, glancing over to Luke with something akin to a kind of awe. Aunt Tyrion squeaked out a noise and excitement. How did it end? the air asked breathlessly. Spectacularly glorious, Valmora asserted grandly. He killed four of them, but led the other to retreat. Once they realized they were unmatched, they ran for their lives. Back into the raging storm, away from the flashing steel and tether of the wraith. It didn't do them much good, though. Without the protection of the wraith, like we had, the sandstorm outside swallowed them whole. Never to be seen again. He rubbed his forehead. Of all the aggrandizing... They fled! And I was too exhausted to give chase, he corrected. Nor could I abandon my charges, not after we'd been discovered once already. It wasn't spectacular, it wasn't glorious, it was survival. You sure wouldn't have guessed it from how you looked right after, standing over those bodies as the rest fled from you like you were an avenging son yourself, she returned. Son's life, I think that was the moment more than anything made us believe we would get out of there alive and whole. She sighed as she sank back in her chair, smiling lightly. For all that you insist that you aren't what these stories say you are, you sure worked hard that day not to prove a single one of them wrong. You were my charges, he replied, not knowing what else to say. You know the vows of a runner to their charges as well as I do. Which is why no one had made them to us before, Lakmir growled quietly, memories thick in the air. No one 
except for you. She's right, Thalmora agreed. No one would have made those vows to slaves held in the palace itself. Nobody meant that they run there would have to risk their life on a suicide mission that had no hope of succeeding. No runner would take us. Everyone in the palace knew that the only way we were getting out of there is if we were sold or dead. She breathed deeply, suddenly catching and holding his gaze as wonder grew up around her. Until suddenly there was a new runner on the flight paths, she continued, voice quiet and filled with nostalgic wonder. And with that new runner, everything that was impossible was suddenly happening with no one in power being able to do a single thing about it. She grinned incredulously and shook her head, until suddenly even we were free. Long after everyone had given up on us, suddenly we were free. She leaned forward and held his gaze, until suddenly you. That still doesn't make me a champion, he said quietly, swirling the tea in his cup discomforted by the whole situation and yet finding himself reluctant to crash that tenacious hope or anything more than a runner i do my job and do it well i'll admit to that much but there's honestly nothing more to it except that the gods and their creatures alike heed your words lackmere continued idly except that you've proven yourself to be capable of feats previously considered impossible except that you've become a symbol of hope a figure of legend she tilted her head. Except that, by being just a runner and nothing more, you became everything within those stories to countless people and proven them right every time. At that point, well... She looked away and towards the huddle of figures on the couch. The son of a general, the scion of a powerful corporation, the prince of a planet, and the heir set to inherit untold riches and power all huddled on a couch, scared and powerless in the face of the odds they now faced, relying on a farm boy and scrap engineer from the outer rim to keep them safe and sound. Does it even matter anymore what you are and aren't? She continued with a shrug. You are proclaimed to be the storm wraith, and you claim yourself to only be a runner. Yet why can you not be both? To define is to limit... And are you not a disciple of the Sovereign of the Borderless? He narrowed his eyes at her in annoyance, and even further when she chuckled in a raspy growl. I'd forgotten how unfair those two centuries of accumulated wisdom of yours can be, he groused. And Lackmere barked out a laugh. You have your own kind of wisdom, Wraith, she replied with mischief dancing around her. This is mine. And what does that wisdom of yours state, then, if I may be so bold as to ask, he said, raising an eyebrow as he took another sip of his tea. Let go of that which you can't control, Lackmere told him promptly. Whomever you are, you clearly have both a tendency to land in the middle of situations no one else would think to survive, let alone conquer, and a strong drive to protect those who cannot protect themselves. If you keep on the path you are, champion of the storm or not, you will be a champion of the people. There is little you can do to avoid that except to stop your activities altogether. She laughed out a rasping growl. But I don't see you doing that any time soon. Do you? 
he hummed thoughtfully as he swallowed down his tea. There was an annoying kind of logic to Lackmere's words, that, while not burdened with the near hero worship of Valmora, still held a certain degree of respect, although filtered through the lens of an age lived. He knew he couldn't stop any kind of rumor mill once it got going, but this, this felt different somehow, as if it were especially egregious for people to assign some kind of legendary status to him when he was just Luke, just Luke, and nothing more. Sure, he had earned plenty of names on his own merit over the years, the latest being the Lady's Son and Vader's Home, but the name The Storm Wraith felt different somehow, like it wasn't a name so much as a title, and one that came with heavy expectations he hadn't chosen to boot, but... But as much as he disliked it, Lackmere was right. He couldn't stop this, or rather the only way he could stop this was to stop acting as a runner altogether, and if recent events in the last two months had proven anything, he was patently incapable of that, even when he tried to be something other than a runner, which meant that, like it or not, people would keep telling those tall tales about him, at least as far as his experiences went. If nothing else, he could hope that they would tire of it sooner rather than later. Sighing in defeat, he sank back into his chair, glaring at Lackmere while she was looking far too pleased with herself. You're right, he admitted begrudgingly, to which Lackmere barked out a laugh that was just a tad too loud. I still don't like it, though. No, I didn't think you would, she agreed, still sounding far too amused by it all. But it's best not to fight the currents when it comes to these kinds of affairs. Currents, he repeated, unfamiliar with the Shrewok word. The flow of moving water she defined promptly, and ah, yes, that made more sense. It was bad sense to get into the path of a flash flood in the rainy season, after all. I resent how much sense that makes, he informed her promptly, eliciting a loud, growling laugh, but fine. I will try to follow that advice and hope that this all doesn't get wildly out of hand. What advice? Quinn asked as he glanced between him and Lackmere like someone watching a sparring match. What just happened? Lucky basically advised the Wraith to just let us be while telling stories about them, since he can't exactly stop the Roma Mill beyond stopping his activities altogether, Valmora promptly summed up, much to his consternation. He really wasn't getting any kind of sympathy here, was he? So does that mean we're getting more stories? Tyrion asked, more than a little excited, and Luke nearly smacked himself. May I remind everyone here that we're in the middle of a flight? He stated while rubbing his face. There's hunters on our tail, and we still have yet to secure a good route to the city center that won't be crawling with them, waiting to ambush us. Oh, that'll be the easy part, Valmora waved off. We'll just use the underground railway and drop you off right in the center. He blinked as he parsed that sentence. I'm sorry, he said. The underground what? Isn't that unsafe? Tyrion immediately piped up instead, not confused in the slightest, but definitely more concerned than anything fidgeting with the hem of his wrap in a sure sign of his worry. Does that even work? I heard that the majority of it is unstable and is in danger of collapse whenever survey teams still go down there. I second Luke, Zev immediately piped up, looking more than a little spooked. The underground what? The underground railway, Valmora continued, growing more excited as she talked. It's a holdover from when the city was ancient ages ago. Before Havertech became what it is today, 
The ancient people transported both goods and themselves throughout the city using a vast underground railway system. There were even markets and event centers of the city built down there, and a lot of the city's wilder population still use them to this day, even if they've dilapidated a bit over time, she admitted sheepishly before shaking it off, rapidly regaining her excitement. That's not the most important part, though, she insisted. The most important part is that it's still down there and still connects more to the city, with not all that many regular people still knowing about it. It's mostly used these days for smuggling, discreet traveling, and, well, something akin to flights. Now that piqued his attention. If those hunters aren't from around here, I doubt they ever know about it, and even if they do, the railways are a maze, with very few people knowing the whole layout. It's easy to get lost and turned around in there, but there are still people who know how to use them for transport. That was definitely a better idea than he'd had of simply crossing through the city itself anyway, considering it took them a not insignificant amount of time to even get this far out. He didn't doubt that walking the way back would have them arrive somewhere past midnight with the care that they might have to take while traveling. Where would the nearest access point be to the railway? They would need to plan carefully for that kind of approach. If the hunter who he thought had recognized him indeed had, then there would probably be hostels all over the neighborhood soon enough. If it was nearby, it would definitely be a little over four kilometers away, Valmora admitted quietly. Never mind. Four kilometers, he muttered. That could have been worse. It's not ideal, but it definitely could have been worse. I mean, it is just four kilometers walking, Zev pointed out. I know we're not that impressive to you when it comes to physical abilities, but we can handle that. It's not about physical abilities, Luke Cantipal contemplated the best approach to take. It's about the fact that it's four kilometers we'll have to navigate through a crowded city while remaining largely undetected. That's not nothing, even if there's alternative routes that are less obvious, like the rooftops. That is, Balmora supplied, even as her confidence wavered, I think, but I'm not sure how easy it'll be to traverse. Fair enough, they'd get there when they'd get there then, which, with any luck at all, would be right this next second before anything else happened. Then I suggest we check our options now and see if there's any way to get it done, he suggested, moving to get up out of his chair only to be met with long, disappointed whines. But, sir, Quinn whined, the stories, come on, please, he begged, setting up his eyes as large as he could. Just ten minutes, he couldn't believe this. Quinn, where, please, sir, Tyrion joined in, eyes wide and pleading. Tyrion, he sighed, rubbing his temples. Please, Zev asked quietly and Luke stared at his friend in abject betrayal, nearly missing how Quinn shot Alana quick but nasty glare, shooting his own at Quinn in turn, because, oh no, he wasn't. He only found himself faced with Alun, who rolled his eyes, sighed, and gave him an equally pleading face. Now faced with four sets of pleading eyes and his resolve quickly crumbling, he almost considered looking behind him for support from his former charges, but just as quickly dismissed the thought when he felt the deep, deep amusement coming from both of them, the traitors. He sighed deeply and rubbed his temples, feeling a headache start to grow. He really shouldn't indulge this. Guys, he tried one final time, but his charges weren't about to cooperate. Please, they all pleaded one final time, eyes wide and demeanors fully open with, yes, more than a couple of deceptive behaviors, but also exhaustion, hope, lingering fear, Slight stings of pain and strain, and he sighed. Damn it. Ten more minutes, he ordered flatly, crossing his arms and giving them all a stern look. By then I expect you all to have finished your tea, and any of those tall tales you're about to give me a splitting headache with. 
The cheer that went up was a bit much in his opinion, but the joy and excitement was so genuine that he couldn't help the small smile that crossed his face, even as he reluctantly sat back down in his chair. You're soft for them, Blackbeard noted with a snort as Valmora eagerly geared up to tell them all about some grand tale of his that he was certain was going to be at least sixty percent embellished by volume. Like you aren't for her, Luke shot back in a whisper while indicating Valmora with a jerk of his head. That much hadn't changed, at least. Point taken, Wraith, she admitted with a dip of her head, before turning to watch as the tall tale began. Sighing, he took a sip from his own tea as he resigned himself to his fate. Okay, Valmora said excitedly, I can look at ten minutes easily. She settled in, and so did his charges as Valmora began her story. So Lucky and I met the Stormwraith one day, when, against all odds, a stranger snuck into the slave quarters of the palace late at night. He was dressed in a heavy cloak, and when I first saw his face, I froze in shock, because right in front of me was the face of legends, made of brown leather, and with two gleaming black lenses that dropped two tear lines from their corners all the way down to the edge. I recognized it immediately as the Wraith's mask. Really? He remarked while stirring his tea. That's odd. "'because I distinctly remember you asking me, "'Who are you?' when you first saw me.' "'His charges quickly shushed him, "'and Luke couldn't help but be amused "'as he obligingly fell silent. "'She shot him a pouting look before rolling her eyes. "'Okay, fine. He wasn't immediately. "'But the moment he introduced himself with, "'Hey, run now, and if already I'm here to rescue you.' "'I knew.' "'That, at least, was true, as far as he remembered it. No one else would have snuck into Jabba's palace in order to visit the slave quarters, she continued. No one else would dare. No one but the Wraith, she finished dramatically. Whoa, Sev whispered quietly. Yes, she agreed in a similar whisper. And suddenly there he was. More and more of us woke up until eventually he'd found eight among us who were willing to take the risk and make the flight. He told us to be ready and that in three days' time he would come for and take us away from the hell we were in. Then he vanished, gone as if spirited away by the storm itself. Tyrion stifled a small gasp, and Luke had to bite his tongue to stop himself from revealing how it had just been a simple diversionary illusion, aided by the fact that the quarters had been bathed in poor lighting, the people themselves had been sleepy and dazed, and their own preconceptions of him. And then, Tyrion asked, and then three days later, when the dead of night the wraith kept his word, she continued, gesturing wildly with her arms for added effect. The door quarters opened, and in slipped the wraith in full regalia. Really, that's the word she was choosing, and ready to deliver us to freedom. The ritual of flight took place, and one by one he gathered our souls and names close, bringing them with his wings. Valmora mimed out every sentence, drawing in his charges as she held the pause at the end of her sentence, her grin slowly growing into something darkly dangerous. There was no turning back from that point. In one graceful movement, she jumped up out of her chair, slowly stalking along the floor as she continued her story, never breaking eye contact with her audience. We slipped out of the quarters, the wraith preceding us on cat's feet, and to our surprise, we found that all the guards had either fallen asleep or vanished into thin air, meaning he'd hidden the sleeping or dead bodies from any guards that might pass back, probably under a tarp, if he remembered that night correctly. That feat alone had cost him agonizingly slow minutes, taking the better part of an hour to complete, starting from the very moment the guards had changed shift. The wraith guided us through every part of the palace, never leading us astray as if he knew it like the back of his hand. 
He did. He spent a full month ahead scouting out the place, even stealing his way within the walls a bare handful of times to ensure that he absolutely knew every route by heart. Abruptly, Valmore's expression fell, her posture loosening as her expression darkened. And then it all went wrong. She closed her eyes and breathed deeply. From somewhere deep within the palace, an alarm went up. Someone had discovered our flight, and it all threatened to crumble down around us. Many of us feared the detonation of our chips in that moment, and some even contemplated going back to the quarters to hope they hadn't been found missing yet, or surrender themselves to the guards and take any punishment that may come. That, if nothing else, it will grant them a swift death instead of a torturous one. Tyrion whimpered quietly, and Zev hissed between his teeth as he and the air clutched each other. Quinn cursing under his breath, and even Alon's face having gone stony. It wouldn't last long, though, and Valmora opened her eyes, smiling softly. But the Wraith rallied us, reminded us of the vow he had made to us, that he would give it his all to keep us safe and deliver us to freedom. But that if we wanted to see our next sunrise, we would need to move now. That does sound familiar, Alon admitted quietly, unexpectedly. Luke blinked and exchanged a glance with Lackmere, confused on his part and knowing on hers. It does, she agreed, and with our spirits lifted and resolve renewed, we ran. The wraith dodged around and between us, cautiously checking our front and back while giving us the directions we needed through hallways and side passages, dispatching any guards in our way with brutal efficiency if they didn't yield the moment they saw him. A specter of judgment and justice, of vengeance and violence. Luke bit his tongue to stop himself from objecting, even as he couldn't help but wonder how many of his other charges had received such a twisted view of him from his actions in the heat of the moment. His current charges certainly seemed to be taking it all in without any complaint or objection, fully engrossed in the story, awe and wonder growing deeper by the moment. But the guards were closing in, Valmora continued, back to her gesturing as she stalked up and down the room like a caged Nexu observing her audience as if they were prey. They were closing in, and if they caught us, he would surely spell our death. So the Wraith did something none of us expected. He told us to stop running, take cover in the loading area of the palace behind a set of crates, and not come out until he came back, swearing to us on this storm that he would not abandon us, would never abandon us. Not as long as he lived, and even then, he would ask the storm for grace. She huffed out a breath and shook her head. What could we do but believe him? Alum made a quiet sound, looking away and rubbing his arm as conflict raged within him, conflict and recognition. Luke wondered what it was that the proud prince had recognized in the story of a slave's survival and freedom. With all of us safely behind the crate, he took off running, and not even moments later we heard an almighty roar from further within the palace, Thalmora exclaimed, fully lost in her own excitement now. It was like a crate that descended from the skies to assault the palace grounds. And as we huddled there behind the crates, we heard the sounds of guards running by, frantically reporting glimpses and flashes of the wraith around the facility, sending guards in all directions as they attempted to catch him, with things only getting worse when explosions started wrecking parts of the palace. Now he definitely remembered that part. Even without his charges with him, it had been a fearful gauntlet to dodge all of the guards while leading them on a wild chase around the palace. He'd used every trick he knew to disorient and frighten his pursuers, doing his best impression of a crate roar and projecting it loud, 
setting off smoke bombs and regular bombs in strategic places as he passed through, darting guards with hallucinogenics that had them frothing at the mouth and raving about the spirits and creatures that had come to drag them all to their doom and so much more. He'd sown abject madness within the palace that night, firmly cementing himself as Jabba's opponent and definitely earning himself a one-way ticket to the great pit of Carcoon, if he was ever found out and captured. Sons, with how much of a pandemonium he'd caused, he wouldn't be surprised if his patron had stepped in and lent some of its own powers to give the madness a certain edge, if not before he had prayed to it to come to his aid, then certainly after. Huddled behind those crates, we could only listen as the whole palace descended into chaos and the madness, the wind picking up and sweeping through the halls as the storm itself hunted alongside its champion, Valmora whispered, painting the scene. We were terrified, but the guards were even more so, and every time a pack of them passed by our hiding place, it was a gamble on who was more terrified than them or us. She laughed quietly. The odds of that bet became even more and more stacked against them as the assault wore on. And by the time the storm wraith came to retrieve us, the palace was a howling, squirming cesspit of madness and terror. Under the gaze of the indifferent stars, not for once, it wasn't us slaves who were the victims. They certainly hadn't been. He'd made damn sure of that. And for months afterwards, all anyone had been able to talk about were the tales of terror the guards had shakily told in the taverns the day after, the events growing wilder and more out of control with the addition of alcohol into the frenzied memories, rendering that night something out of a horror story told around a fire. After that flight had been when the name The Storm Wraith had truly started to take off, and people were convinced he was a supernatural entity of some sort, sent to create a nightmare for the masters that, hopefully, they wouldn't wake from. We ran for it, Valmora continued. And as we did, the wind started to pick up around us, thunder rumbling in the distance as we made a desperate break for the exit, the guards only slowly realizing that we were escaping as a bare handful of them still had the wits about them necessary for it. We reached the far wall of the palace, and with one of the wraith's tethers, we climbed and climbed and climbed, all the way to the top to free them. While the wraith held off and silenced any guards who saw us, until we reached the top and then... Falmora held her pause, but Luke himself remembered the sight that had greeted them atop the stone wall all too well. A terrifying, awe-inspiring sight. The sight of a prayer answered by the storm, as best it could. There it was, Falmora continued, slowly straightening up as she swept an arm wide. A wall of dust and sand now reached as high as the sky, blowing towards us on the wings of the wind, carrying thunder on its wake. She shivered, and for once it didn't seem to be for any kind of added effect, something Luke could certainly empathize with. His patron's power was both a breathtaking and awe-inspiring thing to behold in every sense of those words. It was a sandstorm, she continued quietly, a wall of sheer black against a darkened sky, blotting out any stars or moons, nothing but an endless void coming up to greet us. She looked up with eyes full of memories and something deeper than mere entertainment of a story. And then the storm wraith lived up to his name. He remembered. 
His patron had come to his aid, and who is he to refuse it? For all that his patron was powerful and dangerous, they had a pact that could neither be bent nor broken, but it was a pact that called for trust. Trust and something even more terrifying. Faith. Ozone pricked at his nose, and Luke closed his eyes for a moment, allowing the memory to come to the foreground. What did he do? Quinn asked quietly. He tied us all together with one of his tethers, looping it around our waist with leads stretching up between us, and told us to trust him, to cover up our faces with anything we could, Valmora answered quietly, something severe in her voice. Then he began to climb down the wall and headed straight for the stone. Several stifled sounds of surprise went up, but Luke paid them no attention as he'd remembered exactly what had happened. He'd asked the storm for aid, and there, against the tide of a mountain and just above the palace of misery and death, he'd seen the results of it. The storm had answered, and in a split second thought that he still didn't quite know how to explain, he'd known that he would have to trust it. So he had. We were terrified, Valmora recalled. But it was a choice to either follow the wraith, or allow ourselves to be brought back to the place that had held us prisoner for so long. She laughed bitterly. With that choice to be made, even death by way of the sandstorm seemed preferable. She stepped closer, her feet softly treading on the floor. But we didn't die. None of us did. Of course not. He would protect his charges to the very last breath. But that was a vow made to the storm. Patron of all those seeking freedom, one could no more ask the storm to break it than for its winds to blow gently. It simply wasn't in its nature. We stumbled down this side of the mountain into the valley below, all the while as the blackened wall of sky approached us with terrifying speed. We could hear our pursuers closing in behind us, and when I looked back, I remember seeing their dark figures standing on the ledge we had just escaped from, yelling and waving their arms. Though whether it had been towards us or the approaching doom, I didn't know. Neither did Luke, though from the sheer terror and rage that he had felt behind him, he could guess that it was both. They had been thoroughly humiliated and beaten only moments earlier, to suddenly see a wall of death approaching in the middle of the night, with nothing but the fortress below you to stand between it, its apocalyptic fury, and you. He could imagine how that would inspire fear if you found yourself on the wrong side of his patron. We were terrified, Valmora whispered again. I don't think we ever really stopped being until, well, you'll see. She breathed in deeply. You know, she said quietly, until you stood in front of a wall of pitch-black clouds that stretched as high and wide as you could see, sweeping across the ground and engulfing everything within its path while lightning flashed inside, the wind roaring in your ears. You haven't really experienced what it means to be afraid, to feel small. She swallowed, to feel insignificant, the power of the storm, the rage of it. It wasn't for the faint of heart. Luke could admit that much. The storm demanded equal amounts of courage and respect when treating with it. And Luke wasn't sure if he managed it every time, but that time... 
That time he'd gotten it right. The storm swept in, and the world went dark, Falmora continued quietly. It roared around us, howling and screaming, and the sand lashed up against us. There was no light save for the terrible flashes of lightning. There was nothing but the storm. He remembered trudging through that endless darkness, trusting nothing but what was directly in front of him and the mental map he had of the area. He couldn't even remember how long they'd walked like that, straightened against the gale-strength winds, shielding his charges with his body as best he could, and yet knowing that for all their struggle, they still weren't struggling nearly as much as the world around them dictated they should. Like the wind was moving around them instead of trying to move through them, let them pass without demanding a toll. Lightning flashed all around us, lighting up the world in brief, terrible intervals, coloring everything around us a pale white blue, she recalled. The thunder roared deafeningly, and in those moments, I'm not afraid to admit that I thought we'd die, that this was the end. She fell silent for a moment. That perhaps it wouldn't be such a bad end, to die to this furious display of power enveloping the whole world as far as the eye could see, rather than to die a small and miserable death deep underground with my master. She spat the title with a vicious hatred. Finally got tired of me. And then, in the heart of his patron's fury, he'd felt it. But it didn't hurt us. Something reaching out towards him through the wind and sand, whispering. It didn't touch us. Whispering to him, guiding him, telling him the secrets of this terrain that he would need to run his charges to safety. And in the heart of that storm, we suddenly found our safety. She laughed quietly. Or rather, we found our safety in the wings of this storm wraith. He'd heeded the whispering guidance drifting towards him on the winds that roared in equal measure. Through sand and stone, they'd fled while the storm concealed them from their pursuers, deep, deep into the desert, until they'd finally stumbled into the foothills of the Kashmi Mountains. It was strange. We were out in the storm with no shelter to speak of, lightning flashing all around, and yet, she sighed, and yet we were safe. There's really no other way to explain it or try to make sense of it. We were just safe. With the storm right in front of us and the sandstorm all around us, the fears just melted away. I couldn't tell you when or why. But at some point, I just wasn't afraid anymore. I don't think any of us were. She laughed quietly, and Luke tated memories in the air. Nothing like tracking up the side of a mountain in the middle of a storm without fear or worry to really drive that point home after all. For all that this storm didn't harm us, it was still a nightmarish climb. That much was certainly true. The rocks bruised and sometimes cut our feet and were freezing cold to the touch, but it was worth it, as the wraith led us straight to a cave in the mountainside. Inside, neither the storm nor elements could touch us, and we found the peaceful wounds, care, food, and rest, while the wraith stood guard over all of us, despite the storm howling outside.
It hadn't been easy to stretch the food stores he'd had on him amongst eight people for the night, and he remembered going without himself to let his charges eat. Not that he really needed it. He'd been far too on edge to even register any hunger, nor had he been subjected to starvation, as he didn't doubt his charges had been on more than one occasion. The choice between himself, who had been in peak performance, and his charges who were weak, frightened, and were in the middle of what was likely one of the most important moments in their lives, had been an easy one. Standing guard had been an easy choice as well, as far as he knew. Only one of them had been able to sleep through the day to prepare for the flight that evening. We had a few hours of peace and recovery, but then like a nightmare, voices could be heard outside the cave, closing into the stone. He could hear a soft grunt through Valmora's story, joined by a flash of pain, and he cracked open an eye to check on his charges, finding that both Tyrion and Zev had completely pressed into each other's sides, clinging to one another with apparently the grunt of pain coming from the fact that Tyrion had dug his nails a hair too far into Zev's arm while clutching it closer to him, eyes wide with worry and fear. Not that Zev was doing much better. Glancing over to the other two, he nearly snorted when he found both Alun and Quinn holding the exact same position of concealed worry and investment. Honestly, if any of them remembered that he was sitting right here, he'd eat his head wrap. Closing his eyes again, he sighed. Well, it wasn't anything dangerous as far as he could see, beyond the fact that they'd likely get a more inflated sense of who he was than was healthy, and all this nonsense at least gave him a moment to recharge and relax before he had to continue the flight. It was the Snatcher Squad sent after us from the palace, Valmora revealed, rather unnecessarily in Luke's opinion. They'd already had this part of the story recounted, hadn't they? Foul, violent, and cruel. They were the ones in charge of both punishing slaves and pursuing them if they ran off. And some of the nastiest people you'll hopefully never have the displeasure of meeting, we feared them, she admitted quietly, back there in the palace. But that night, that night we feared nothing. Not with the storm howling just outside our cave, not with freedom only just out of reach, and she continued, something satisfied and vicious edging into her presence. Not with the wraith growling at the intruders, lacking a newborn the defensive. Oh, snap, Quinn muttered excitedly, and Alon hummed in agreement. Oh, yes, Vamora agreed, equally excited. The wraith ordered us into hiding in the back of the cave, and took up a defensive position near the entrance to prepare to square off against the slavers. Six of them entered the cave, decked out in full-body armor and heavy weaponry, they demand that we show ourselves. But the Wraith wasn't having it, emerging from his position like a vengeful spirit. He told them to leave, leave or die. But they would not harm us. Not as long as he drew breath. A simple ultimatum as far as he was concerned, and an honest one too. Unfortunately, his opponents hadn't quite seen it the same way. The slavers laughed, Felmora hissed. They laughed and told them that not only would they take us back to Jabba, they'd take him with them, and see him face his doom. This time Valmora laughed, and Luke had to admit, looking back on it, it really was appropriate that a slave got the last laugh from that encounter. It would be their last mistake. With the ultimatum rejected, their slavers had sealed their fate, and the wraith launched his assault with a roar that would put the crate to shame. Lies. 
The first one fell to a dart, lodged deep in his throat. Okay, that one was true. But after that? Oh, boy. What happened after that? Tyrion asked, voice quietly tense. Well, Valmora began, and sons, he could hear the grin in her voice. That spelled nothing good. Oh, fuck. The wraith flew at them like a man possessed, closing the distance in barely a moment, knife and tether flashing like the fangs of a viper, she hissed out, excitement and enthusiasm lashing through the air like a cat's tail. He entangled one of the slavers before he even got a chance to react, hitting their main weapon out of their hand and setting them sprawling, jabbing them on their way down with one of the darts. The others tried to react, but the wraith was dodging and weaving around and over them like he was dancing on air, and the third fell as the wraith forced up their own weapon to under their chin and pulled the trigger. Zav hissed sharply, and if his eyes weren't closed, Luke would have rolled them. It had been efficient, and taking another one of the fighters out of the fray in a split second, that was nothing to hiss at, even if Valmora's dramatization was rather over the top. But there were still three other slavers, and one of them had the luck to grab the wraith by the arm that he held his knife in, twisting it and forcing a wrestle for dominance, while the other two gathered to gang up on him. Valmora continued, voice dropping to something tense and dangerous, Tyrion gasping in dismay while Quinn cursed under his breath, with even a lung grunting in alarm. The wraith wasn't so easily beaten, though, and as one of the other slavers took aim, he wrenched his opponent around using his own weight against him to knock him into the other slaver and send them all sprawling, knocking his mask loose in their fall. Damn it, Alun hissed, and Luke briefly cracked open an eye in surprise at the vehemence and sincerity of the concern behind it. Pale-faced and tense, Alun didn't exactly paint the picture of a detached aristocrat like he usually did. Was the proud prince really that invested in this? It was looking bad, Fomora agreed. But one must never underestimate their wraith, unlike what one of the slavers did. As he crowed in the victory that they had him now, and that he would pay for everything he did, with his head hanging on the gates of the palace as a warning for everyone to know their place. Bastard, Quinn spat, and there was a general rumble of agreement under the rest. But just as he was about to make good on his threats, something shifted in the air, and the wraith let out an almighty roar of furious defiance. Valmora exclaimed triumphantly, lunging forward faster than a lightning strike. He knocked all the other slavers off balance, and with bared fangs and crushing force, he sank his teeth into the slaver's neck. Holy shit, Zerf whispered, something not quite like fear and not quite like awe spilling out of him. Yes, Valmora said, nearly sang in satisfaction. His teeth sank in deep around the man's windpipe and jugular and a deep silence fell over the cave, save for the panicked, goggling gasps of the slaver and the growling of the wraith as he sunk his teeth ever deeper, tearing through skin and flesh alike. Cracking open an eye again, Luke wasn't even surprised to see her leku almost trilling in gratification. It was like all fight had drained from the other two as they watched in horror while their fellow was suffocated. The slaver himself desperately trying to claw at both his neck and the wraith's face, but being easily stopped this time. Slowly, like he had all the time in the world, the wraith rose to his feet, slaver still hanging from his mouth by the neck. Holy fucking shit, Quinn whispered, sounding like he very much agreed with Zev. It was like a spell had been cast over everyone in the cave.
with the wraith as the focal center. Valmora recounted, seeming positively giddy as she recounted this part of the story, and Luke had to wonder how much catharsis she'd derived from this moment alone after her years of slavery. The other two could do nothing more than scramble backwards and watch in horror as this slaver began to sag more and more to the floor. Until at last, Valmora made a horrific squelching, tearing noise that was surprisingly accurate to what it had actually sounded like when the flesh, veins, and cartilage had given out under the weight of the attached body and the chunk in his mouth had torn itself free from the body it belonged to. Several gagging and whimpering sounds coming from the couch alongside a sharp spike of distress and revulsion told him that his current charges weren't taking the whole idea as well as his previous charges had taken the actual view. The body dropped with a gaping hole in its neck, and dripping sounds could be heard around the growling of the wraith, she revealed giddily, and for the first time in the whole encounter, the remaining slavers were deeply and truly afraid. She sniffed, as well they should be, and when the wraith finally spit out the gob of flesh with a snarl, and they stepped towards the terrified remains of the six-man snatcher squad, their nerves gave out for good, sending them running and screaming out into the howling storm outside, never to be seen again by either friend or foe. Sweet force, Quinn whispered, and Tyrion whimpered in agreement. They were never even so much as faltered, simply picking up his mask and placing it back over his face, never showing it to us in the process. The only indication of what had just happened being the large streaks of blood running down his chin and over his chest. And really, the miming of the blood trails that had stained his gear was a bit much. Though he supposed that since it had eventually broken the resolve of the last two slavers, he should be grateful. She quickly calmed down after that, thankfully, and smiled softly. That, and two fierce, glaring eyes that burned with spirit fire. It still sounded so unbelievable any time someone told him that. And yet Biggs and his aunt and uncle had often told him the same. He'd seen it in his own reflection, and his fellow runners had eyes that, well, it sounded unbelievable, but apparently there was something to it. And even after all that, all of it. Do you know what his first words were after he'd called us out of hiding? No. Zeph answered hesitantly. Is everyone all right? Valmora quoted, imitating his vocoder's voice pretty well once again. He didn't even comment once on his own victory. All you wanted to know was if we, who hadn't even had to fight for a moment, were all right. That does sound like, sir, Tyrion agreed quietly. We camped out the rest of the storm in that cave, Valmora continued, much quieter than before. And once it settled in the morning the next day, we continued on our flight with no other major issues. Not even two weeks later, we had our freedom rights. And three days after that, we were on a ship to the core, leaving Tatooine far behind us. She sighed happily. But that night, that terrifying, wondrous, awe-inspiring, impossible night, I will never forget. Nor could I ever forget this stormwraith. Not after that. Whoa, Quinn breathed quietly, 
awe and astonishment deep within both his voice and his presence. That's... whoa. Yeah, Zev agreed, just as quiet. And you're telling me that there's just... even more of these stories? Wait. Luke promptly opened one eye and leveled it at Zev. He didn't think he liked where that train of inquiry was heading. Hundreds, Valmora agreed enthusiastically. Everything from flights to how he regularly outsmarted the masters, or how he served as the disciple of both the storm and the desert, to how he interacts with their emissaries as the storm's champion. Are there any good ones? Alan promptly asked, and okay, that wasn't the deal. I believe, he said pointedly, still not opening his eyes all the way, but not needing to in order to hear the startled yelps and curses, as well as Lackmere's growling laugh filled with amusement. Then I said you had ten minutes. He finally opened his eye to see a quintet of startled eyes staring back at him, as well as one pair of very amused red wookie ones. And I do believe that this one story has already far exceeded those ten minutes. But sir, Quint tried and Luke definitely didn't miss how his charge was looking at him with somewhat different eyes now, how they all were. He wondered what this new information had done to their perception of him, but discarded it as irrelevant for the immediate moment. We had an agreement, Quinn, he cut off firmly. I expect you all to keep to it. Yes, sir, they mumbled, and Luke would feel guilty if this break in their flight hadn't gone on for long enough already. They needed to make for the underground railway and city center, and soon before the hunters got wise to how they'd given them the slip. Not to point out the obvious here, Lackmere interrupted gently, breaking her long silence much like Luke had, but we will need to guide you all to the underground railway as it's well, rather hidden. Wouldn't that present ample time for another story while keeping to the agreement? And now Luke could only stare at the Wookiee in utter betrayal. You traitor, he accused her flatly while Valmora made a delighted sound of realization. How could you? Lackmere gave him an incredibly flat look in return before pointedly looking over at all the others, whose faces were beginning to reflect the confused hope that was blooming up inside of them. Yes, she said, growls taking on a highly sarcastic tone. How could I? That's brilliant lucky, Valmora exclaimed, happily clapping her hands together as she bounced on her feet. Come on, guys, I'll tell you all about it while we get you guys to the underground railway. Wait, really? Tyrion exclaimed, hope and excitement blooming bright and open on his face alongside his other charges, and damn it, that just wasn't playing fair. Yes, really, Valmora said. Come on, get your asses ready to go. You too, Lucky. A scattering of cheers went up right alongside a Wookiee chuckle, and Luke sighed deeply as he began to get himself ready for the trek while the others chattered about the tale of his first flight into Jabba's palace and made requests for new ones. This was going to be a longer walk than he thought. He could already tell, but maybe. He looked up towards his charges while readjusting his knife, each of them varying degrees of relaxed, excited, and hopeful. Not necessarily all good things on a flight. A certain member of alertness and wariness was required after that, but... Zev laughed while Quinn made a request for a tale involving the crate, Tyrion quietly but enthusiastically agreeing in a confident voice, and even Alun seeming to be having a somewhat good time all of them happy much like his former charges were here, in their own cafe of all places. They'd flourished here, and getting to see that, even if it went against the runner's code, it soothed something in him, something he didn't know needed or even could be soothed. He sighed again. It would be a long walk, but maybe, just maybe, 
those smiles would be worth it. The text of this story is available on AO3. Theme music written by Jack Dockray, Sputnik, and Sam Gabriel. If you would like to commission me to record a story, voiceover, or character, please get in touch with me using the contact information on my website, which is located at samgabrielvo.com. And there you can find other stories that I've read, as well as links to my Patreon page, to which I hope you will consider subscribing to support me, and my Discord server, where I record things live for your enjoyment. And finally, as always, thank you for listening.